Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Uh, today is Sunday, January 14th, 2018, starting just after 8.21 p.m. here in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 140th episode of the show. For more information about subscribing to the podcast and helps to helping to support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to astrologers Austin Kopic and Patrick Watson about the transit of Saturn through Capricorn, which is going to be taking place over the course of the next three years. Uh, so, uh, hey guys, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Hey, Watson. Hey, thanks for having us. All right. I am excited about this episode. This is something, it's a little almost anticlimactic because, of course, Saturn went into Capricorn about a month ago, almost a month ago now in mid-December, and there was a lot of fanfare and all the astrologers were talking about it. But Austin, you had what I think was a good suggestion, which was to let a little bit of time pass so that we could start soaking in this transit. It's such a big shift for a little bit and sort of collect our thoughts on it and then record this podcast since this is going to be around for you know two or three years while that transit's going on and do you feel like that was a good that was a good move in terms of starting to see some of the manifestations of the transit over the past few weeks yeah i uh i you know as we talked about on a previous podcast um when planets enter a new sign they there's often a burst of significations where you start seeing the themes um, both at large and on a personal level in in seed form. And, you know, just the week following Saturn's ingress, uh, you know, uh, towards the end of December, I saw a bunch of stuff. And somehow it was nice in that it confirmed what I thought was going to happen. Um, and then I got a few sort of notes from it as well. That, mm, that's that makes sense. But I had I didn't write that in my piece. So it's nice to have, you know, I, we're coming up on almost a month of observation now. Right. Yeah. And you guys both wrote articles and you'd been working on this and researching it for quite a while before the ingress actually happened. I know, Patrick, you did a video, like how, how long ago was that, that you actually published your, your video on Saturn and Capricorn? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly when I published that. It was a, a few months about, a few months ago, but uh, yeah, it focused on the transit of Saturn through Capricorn as well as its uh, coming conjunction to Pluto. And it was called uh, Sunshine, Rainbows, and Daisies, um, Saturn, Pluto, and Capricorn 2018 through 2020. And uh, that was available on my site for people to to pay for. At some point, I might make it public, but um, for right now, uh, it's not. <laughs> sure. Well, well, I'm glad you've joined us tonight to share some of that uh, you know, with the public for free. Yeah. And um yeah, why don't we why don't we jump right into it then? Uh, since we are in the thick of it now, so you guys did. Uh, since you guys have done you know the most research on this, I'll be deferring to you a lot in terms of your expertise and your background in it. But one of the things that you guys suggested in terms of a starting point that I thought was a good idea was talking a little bit first about the basic significations and meanings of Saturn in order to set sort of like a, a foundation for the rest of this discussion, since. This entire episode is going to be talking about Saturn and its transit through its home zodiacal sign, then it makes sense to figure out what the meaning of that planet is first. So one of the starting points that we talked about, or usually a good starting point, is reading from an ancient author how ancient astrologers conceptualized Saturn and what kinds of significations they gave to it. 
And then, uh, so we're going to read a passage from Vadius Valens, who lived in the second century, and he gives a list of significations for Saturn, some of which are kind of extreme, but some of which are kind of interesting. And then I'll contrast that with a passage from uh, Cosmos and Psyche, which is a book by Richard Tarnas that was published about 10 years ago for more of a modern take on the subject. And then we'll sort of discuss those significations and hopefully come to an understanding somewhere between those two extremes of modern and traditional. How does, how does that sound? That sounds like a good yeah. method. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to pull out then my book available at fine bookstores everywhere, Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, uh, where I have an excerpt that I spent quite a long time. I spent like five years going back over this translation over and over again to get the significations that Valens gives for Saturn down. And there's a bunch of footnotes that I'll leave out, but Valens says, the star of Saturn makes those born under him petty, malicious, having many anxieties, those who bring themselves down, solitary, deceitful, those who conceal their deceit, austere, downcast, those who have a feigned appearance, squalid, clothed in black, importunate, sullen, miserable, given given to seafaring, practicing waterside trades. What do you guys think so far? <laughs> Sounds um, like my people. <laughs> Water, practicing waterside trades. It's one of the funny things in ancient astrology. They often associate Saturn with waterside Can, trades and like right. seafaring. Chris, I, I want to jump in sure. because that's stuck in my head for years. Right. And, I, and I've always been kind of uncomfortable with that because, you know, Saturn's qualities are – excessive coldness and dryness. And dryness, and right. And he actually says parched or, or squalid is one of the right. earlier and, significations. And being associated um, with uh, concretization, both literally and metaphorically. But I was I was thinking about that, I think, two days ago. And I was thinking about the fact that Saturn um, is almost us- universally regarded as um, representing boundaries or limits. And it occurred to me that being seaside or by a river, like that's the boundary between water and land, which is one of the, it's such an obvious boundary. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if you look at the globe, the, the main boundary you notice is the blue part and the, you know, kind of brownish, sometimes greenish part. And I was like, oh, that boundary. Well, in Greek myths too, you know, uh, the characters always fall to hubris if they ever have to travel past you know, past a boundary, mm. you know, past a, a body of water. So, right, which is sort of a the structure of yeah. hubris, right? Transgressing. Right. Ah, that's really interesting. Sure. Anyway, sorry, I so, just wanted to jump in. I had a thought. Yeah. On that no, that's story. good. Uh, do that if you guys have any others here. So, uh, I'm going to continue. So, Valens goes on. He says, and and Saturn. He says, and he causes depressions, sluggishness, inaction, obstacles, and undertakings, long-lasting punishments subversion of matters, secrets, restraints, imprisonment, sorrows, accusations, tears, being orphaned, captivity, and exposures. He makes farmers and gardeners because he rules the soil. He also produces hired workers of property, tax collectors, and violent actions. He produces those who acquire great reputation, notable rank, guardianships, the administration of that which belongs to others, and fathers of other people's children. 
Of substances, he rules lead, wood, and stone. Of parts of the body, he rules the legs, the knees, the tendons, the watery parts of the body, phlegm, the bladder, the kidneys, and the inner parts that are hidden. Of illnesses, he's indicative of those that arise from coldness and from moisture, such as dropsy, pain in the tendons, gout, cough, dysentery, tumors, convulsions. Of disorders, he indicates spirit possession, unnatural lusts, and depravity. He makes those who are unmarried and widowed, orphans, and childlessness. He brings about violent deaths by water or by strangulation, or through imprisonment or from dysentery. And he causes falls on one's face. He is the star of Nemesis and is of the diurnal sect. He is dark brown in color and astringent in taste. And that's the end of Valens' significations of Saturn. And that's why I called my Saturn lecture Sunshine, Rainbows, and Daisies. Right. Because that's just, you know, exactly what Saturn's about, right? It's pretty much taking it right from Valens' <laughs> descriptions yeah. in terms of the... Sunshine, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things about ancient astrology that's immediately striking is just that they tend to state things in the extreme. So those are often framed in the most extreme manifestations of Saturn. Elsewhere in his book, Valens digresses a few times and says, of course, Saturn, when well-placed or in certain circumstances, can indicate very constructive or sometimes positive things. But in terms of stating the extremes of some of his significations, that's that's basically the list. Yeah. So a lot of think, uh, hyperbole in some of those books. Sure. And well, I think the I mean, in some ways, what if the point of that is to sort of show you the general direction, you know, give you giving you an extreme example so that you kind of get the idea of Saturn, like not that fun, you know. I don't know if it's supposed to be taken so literally. Kind of like how the a lot of the names of uh, ancient lots are kind of odd and strangely specific, but I think they're supposed to, you know, show you something more general about it rather than something really specific. Yeah, I mean, hyperbole is a rhetorical device helps right. make a point, right? Sometimes you need to blow mm-hmm. things up to an almost cartoonish level. But Saturn can signify all those things. Yeah. I I, oh, yeah. I suppose um, uh, another advantage of that is you'll feel better about your own Saturn after reading that list. Sure. You're like, oh, I just got... I just got hives and broken bones. I really. Uh, I only have dropsy. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not a sailor. I only I'm not got a sailor. dropsy here. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm not given to waterside trades. Yes, I've only I'm- got one tumor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And the other thing is, of course, Valens is focused on the literal manifestations, and it's much less about the broader archetype, archetypal meaning or psychological or what have you. It's some of that's supposed to be inferred under underlying the individual concrete manifestations. And that's why the next author that we'll focus on, a more modern author, will focus on that end of things, which is more of the archetype. So this next excerpt is going to be from Cosmos and Psyche by Richard Tarnas, which was published in 2006. So according to Tarnas, he gives a list of some of Saturn's significations. He says, uh, Saturn is the principle of limit, structure, contraction, constraint, necessity, hard materiality, concrete manifestation, time, the past, tradition, age, maturity, mortality, the endings of things, uh, gravity and gravitas, weightiness, that which burdens, binds, challenges, fortifies, deepens, 
the tendency to confine and constrict, to separate, to to divide and define, to cut and shorten, to negate and oppose, to strengthen and forge through tension and resistance, to rigidify, to repress, to maintain a conservative and strict authority, to experience difficulty, decline, deprivation, defect and deficit, defeat, failure, loss, alienation, the labor of existence, suffering, old age, death, the weight of the past, the workings of fate, character, karma, the consequences of past action, error and guilt, punishment, retribution, imprisonment, the sense of no exit, pessimism, inferiority, inhibition, isolation, oppression and depression, the impulse and capacity for discipline and duty, order, solitude, concentration, conciseness, thoroughness and precision, discrimination and objectivity, restraint and patience, endurance, responsibility, seriousness, authority, wisdom, the harvest of time, effort and experience, the concern with consensus reality, factual correctness, conventional forms and structures, foundations, boundaries, solidity and stability, security and control, rational organization, efficiency, law, right and wrong, judgment, the superego, the dark, cold, heavy, dense, dry, old, slow, distant, the Senex, Kronos, the stern father of the gods. And that's it. So right, right away. Hell, the run on. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite a sentence. Uh, but you can see he's trying to get to the, the deeper archetypal meanings from which you might be able to draw you know, specific concrete manifestations, but some of those are, are sort of broader concepts that may be tied together or could be applied to multiple sort of underlying concrete manifestations. Uh, using good that list. Yeah, it was a good, a good list. I mean, the yeah. thing about Tarnas I like is that he does, even though it's it's modern astrology, quote unquote, he actually does try to, and because of his familiarity with history, his first, you know, really popular book, The Passion of the Western Mind, was like a long book on the history of Western thought. He does draw on some of the older sort of traditions and ideas and in incorporating that into the sort of modern understanding that he has of the planets. Yeah, the only way I could top that list is just to say uh, it to Saturnize or to Saturn is to do, you know, like uh, <laughs> the archetype kind of is, uh, I mean, there's, it's almost just like a, a list of uh, of synonyms or it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy that, that much is packed into the idea of Saturn and that we can just express it as, you know, Saturn, but um, yeah, yeah, that, that that's uh, astrology for you. I want to just share some thoughts I had the other day in terms of distilling or communicating the nature of planets in terms of archetypal characters, you know, which is something we do a lot um, and has been done a long time in the sense of Mars is warriors and smiths, right? You know, et cetera, et cetera. They weren't referred to as archetypes in a thousand years, you know, a thousand years ago. But you look at older texts and they'll be like, oh, yes, these are the children of the planets, Right. 
And I, I always like the children of the planets uh, images and ideas because it gives you a sense of who are the people of Saturn, right? So in a lot of children of Saturn images, you get um, some of the people who are, you know, dirty and and disheveled and broken down by work, as uh, as Valen says, because they're doing mining or they're doing agricultural work. They're doing like they're getting their hands dirty. They're working very hard and very physically. Um, you also have administrators, which are mentioned in both of those lists. Um, and, you know, people, uh, I believe, uh, 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 Tarnas mentioned the Senex, which is the wise old man archetype or the, you know, the elder as an archetype. And I was thinking the other day, though, um, in terms of the the building or constructive side of Saturn, I really like the uh, I, I really like the idea or the figure of the architect. Um, because to be an architect is a very and to oversee the design and building of something huge and physical um, means cutting the stones and um, managing the labor and dealing with the inevitable setbacks. If you've ever watched a building project, they're always, always, always behind schedule and over budget. And so I was thinking about you know Saturn as both architect and demolition crew to structure. Um, and I was also thinking about the the death side of Saturn um, and uh, the relationship with the past and the dead. So in in my mind, I've been playing recently with this sort of simple pairing of the architect and the necromancer. You know, there's the sort of scary Skeletor version of Saturn, um, you know, which is dealing with death and, um, you know, and those things, you know, all of the all of the fears which Saturn signifies, which are communicated by the the simple visage of the skull, right? Um, and then I, I don't know. I've been kind of thinking about that as night side Saturn, and then you have sort of the day side of Saturn being the architect and demolition crew, which is dealing with, um, you know, uh, dealing with more concrete, visible things like boundaries and the foundations and building blocks and all that. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. Saturn is definitely a builder. Yeah. Saturn is definitely a builder. I'm kind of noticing that. Yeah. And what will, I believe you're going to tell us about what he likes to build in Capricorn. Oh, he likes to build prisons (laughs) in Capricorn. That's what he likes to build. That's like my big insight uh, about uh, Saturn lately is that Saturn likes to build structures which are relevant to the sign uh, that he's in. So in, in Sagittarius, Saturn builds bridges. And in Capricorn, he builds prisons. And obviously a prison, you know, is somewhere you can't get out of. It is literally a boundary around you where you are supposed to sit and be punished and think about your crimes. And, you know, in isolation, it's a, you know, the uh, prison is a, is a perfect uh, metaphor in a sense for um, Saturn and Capricorn. But, you know, it depends, I mean, you know, it depends on what you want to choose to do with your time, which is the only thing you have in a prison, and that's coincidentally what Saturn kind of represents. So it's not always going to be, um, you know, I guess you could just waste the time, but you could also build something yourself while you're uh, in seclusion. It could be, you could be in prison or you could be in, you could be, uh, you know, in meditation or isolation, you know, um, building on yourself. So, uh, but uh, I don't know if you wanted to get into like some of those like concrete examples about Saturn. Yeah, we'll. I mean, we'll get to point. some of that, especially once we get sure. talking yeah. about the sign. 
that'll that'll sure. be a, a teaser for a more okay yeah there you go half an hour maybe <laughs> sure. sure so because i want to get into that with you and i'm going to restrain myself right now all right cool so with the power of saturn some some of the broader things that um you know the, that we're talking about here are, are themes like you know if we could try to to boil some of that down as as you were just doing austin like themes like boundaries and constraints which can sometimes be uh positive like you know uh setting you know goals or setting a, a deadline or something like that in order to get something done they can also be experienced as right. subjectively negative like you were saying imprisonment which is a type of boundary or constraint that you you're not happy about but you don't have a choice literally what valen said valen says imprisonment that's right in the text right, right. Or, but um because we're early in the year um something like a new year's resolution i'm gonna stop doing x y or z right that's a that's a self-imposed limitation that's not fun but um, certainly we need to be able to impose limitations. Or I was thinking about this the other day, um, and you can probably relate to this, Watson, as you have uh, children. Um, the Like, you know, in order for your children to not die, you have to say no. You can't – no, you can't play in the street, right? Um, and that like imposing a limitation <laughs> or discipline – um, you know, even though it may not be the the fuzziest of experiences for parent or child, like we'd all be dead. At least I would be. Um, I wouldn't have made it past age four if somebody hadn't, if <laughs> if my parents hadn't uh, kept me from well, wandering kinda, around in the woods. And that's kind of interesting because part of the reason that a person is put in that position or part of the reason that you end up doing that and having to be the one to impose those limitations is is by virtue of being older and time and and experience and being around longer than the person oftentimes you know not just in a parent parent uh, whatever whatever relationship but also in like let's say a teacher student relationship mm -hmm. in a mentor a boss employee boss employee a mentor mentee oftentimes this this idea of time uh conferring not just experience but also authority or authority as a result of experience yeah, and uh, um, and Saturn thus brings us into the types of relations between people that we see in hierarchies, um, which can be very unpleasant, especially when they're abused. And yet, we can't just toss the idea of hierarchy out of you know out the door because you know your judgment is probably better than your baby's, right? Right. Lots and I, I hope, right? You're like, you know what? I'm going to make a, I'm going to yeah. make a call for all of us here. The blender is not a toy. Right. Right. And I mean, it's, it's yeah, okay right. that, you know, you get to be the decider. <laughs> right. Like that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the baby doesn't Bosses. think so though. Right. Which is part of the interesting, like by virtue of the difference between time, which is something I've been thinking about a lot lately in terms of the, you know, the perspective that it gives you on life and the way that maybe you acted earlier in your life versus things you would do now by virtue of having been around longer or or sometimes even just the way that time speeds up as you get older because you've had more trips around the sun so to speak uh when you're young you know you've only had two or three years or so in the context of your entire life like even very small short-term events seem like really a huge deal whereas as you get older and you've had you know, you've lived thousands of days or, you know, hundreds or thousands of days, 
uh, time speeds up because those individual days end up taking on almost less significance within the broader span of, of everything else. And there's this broader theme about Saturn being the furthest visible planet and therefore taking the longest to make a revolution around the sun or around the solar system that became central to astrology for that reason, just because of that idea of not just it being at the outer edge of the solar system as far as we could see with the naked eye, but also because of it taking the longest to take a trip uh, around the sun or around the earth. You know, I thought it was funny. One of these observations we've made, you know, with modern astronomy is, you know, Saturn itself, the planet, you know, has these very prominent rings, which evokes this idea of constriction and limits, uh, <laughs> like like the planet's handcuffed to something. Right. And, and astrologers didn't know that until right. a few centuries ago, but they've been using metaphors that are very much invoke that for, for thousands of hundreds of years prior to yeah. that time. Right. It's literally the most visually bounded planet. Um, <laughs> and so I wanted to just uh, jump in with a few things. One, Chris, you're saying uh, you're pointing out that um, Saturn is the slowest, furthest out planet that we can see with the naked eye. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, one of the ways that I like to say that when I and think about it is it's Saturn signifies the limit of the visible, right? There may well be um, all sorts of weird stuff that happens after death, but you can't see it from here, right? It's the the limit of uh, from what you can see from here on Earth. It may not be the ultimate limit, but it's definitely the limit of the the boundary of of what can be seen. And then um, about uh, just Saturn being the slowest, uh, I discovered recently that in um, Jyotish or Vedic astrology. Uh, Sani or Shani, who's the uh, the god of Saturn, um, is considered to be lame in one leg, and you know that's why his planet is so slow to go around. And I thought that was really interesting um, because it's it lines up perfectly with the way Saturn is often depicted in um, alchemical and a variety of other medieval and Renaissance woodcuts. You'll often see Saturn lame in one leg with a crutch. Um, and I, I was like, oh, that's really funny as a literal testament to his slowness. Also, Saturn rules people who've uh, had misfortune happen to them. Uh, you know, uh, we're talking about Saturn's children. You know, those who got wounded and can't walk right are absolutely Saturn's children. And so I thought that was a really nice sort of sync up between different people in different times and places observing Saturn and coming to very similar conclusions. Sure. And, and and one of the things we should say here after especially after reading the long list of significations from Tarnus and the long list of significations from Valens is is the issue is that there is an un, an overarching principle underlying all of this which which like Patrick you're referring to it as just, you know, Saturn being Saturn, but the issue is that with an archetype is that an archetype is transcendent and therefore you cannot articulate it. You can articulate a bunch of the manifestations which are individual sort of aspects of that that can be derived from the archetype the archetype itself because it can manifest in so many hundreds of different ways there's no single word that you can use which will uh, summarize all of it and so people need to understand that's why astrologers give these long lists of significations because what they're doing is trying to articulate something that cannot be articulated 
And by almost focusing on or, or sort of meditating on those significations, you're supposed to attempt to come close to understanding the archetype that is unifying all of them, even if you can never perfectly grasp it with a single uh, word. Yeah, totally. And I, I would just yeah. add two things to that. I think that um, instead, of, you can't enclose an archetype in words, but you can certainly evoke an awareness of it with words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, uh, you know, that that difficulty in directly describing the essence of a planet's nature is also one of the reasons that a lot of astrologers end up using um, stories, uh, whether from myth or other places, to try to communicate these rather densely bundled truths um, mm-hmm. rather than – I prefer stories to lists personally, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're both uh, ways of getting your head there. Sure. And that's what we're going to be doing for – the remainder of this episode essentially is we're going to be talking about different aspects of Saturn and Capricorn and different ways that that has been experienced in the past by different people in different contexts in natal astrology or through Saturn returns or through mundane astrology. And the, in the process of doing so, we're going to be basically doing the same thing with those examples and trying to get to the bottom of what Saturn going through Capricorn is going to be all about. Uh, over the next two to three years in the present time, and the types of scenarios and themes we would expect to see uh, based on some of those past correlations. And if it goes as the Saturn and Sagittarius episode went that we did about three years ago now at the beginning of Saturn and Sagittarius, then we might actually get pretty close to you know articulating some of the core themes and the sort of archetype underlying that transit. Which will get us, you know, pretty damn close to making uh, relatively decent predictions about what to expect over the next two to three years from this transit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. So I think that's a good setup. So maybe we should transition into uh, now talking about Saturn and its zodiacal rulership and in relationship to the sign Capricorn and drawing in the other part of this, the other component of the delineation that we're going to be focusing on today or the combination, which is Saturn moving through the sign of the Zodiac that we call Capricorn. So where should we start with that? Well, I want to start by saying that we've kind of already been doing that because one of, uh, you know, if we're we're talking about Capricorn-flavored Saturn, it's just Saturn-flavored Saturn. You know, I heard you like Saturn. Um, and <laughs> when a planet's in a in a sign that it rules, it comes across in a very in an archetypally unmitigated way. It looks more like the keyword book um, than if you know Saturn was in uh, I don't know Virgo. There's going to be you know there's going to be a, a very definite admixture there. Whereas like Saturn and Capricorn looks and feels exactly like Saturn. Um, or very close to that archetypal core. So to a certain degree, I feel like um, it was appropriate for us to spend some time just just with what is Saturn, because a lot of this Saturn is going to be rather, how should we say, um, non-specifically Saturn, 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 Saturn. It's pure Saturn. It's it's fresh Saturn. It's organic Saturn. Uh, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean Capricorn has a lot of the significations of Saturn, you know, uh, you know, the sun when it reaches Capricorn each year, that's when we celebrate our new years. That's when, you know, people are looking back on the past year and they're thinking and they want to make goals for the next year and they all fail. And uh 
<laughs> you know, they, uh, this is when people are kind of looking back on kind of the, you know, mistakes they might have made or the things they've accomplished. It's kind of a, a reminder across the globe of, you know, the fact that time just marches on and time is passing and everyone's getting older and everyone's kind of getting a little closer to death. Or at least I have these thoughts when I see the ball drop in New York City. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, uh, the sun and Capricorn just in general, you know, is a, is a very, uh, almost kind of somber time, you know, because the holiday season's over and everyone's kind of hung over from that and in debt from that. And, uh, you know, so it's a very Saturnian time of the year in many ways. And, uh, you know, it's that's when the sun is in. I mean, that's an example of an annual transit, you know, of the sun going through Capricorn and we have this very Saturnian kind of experience together. So uh, that's, I mean, as far as like, you know, delineation for Capricorn, yeah. Um, Capricorn is very Saturn-like, so Saturn being in Capricorn is Saturn just kind of being more like Saturn without a an additional, you know, reference. Yeah, um, I like. I think that seasonal analogy is really good. And I would also add that um, you know everybody, every retailer or small business owner in the world knows that January is a crap month for sales because everybody spent their money. Um, what I, what I think one of the few filters that we can really meaningfully apply to Saturn and Capricorn is that it's the earthy side of Saturn. Mm -hmm. Saturn already is predisposed towards rather concrete and heavy things. Um, but Saturn also rules Aquarius, which is an air sign. Um, and so Saturn and Capricorn is especially the earthy half of Saturn. Right. And mm -hmm. part of, one of the reasons, you know, we're, we're talking about architects and building and stone and demolition and the bones of the dead. Like there's a there's a, a materiality uh, and substance to Saturn, uh, to Saturn and Capricorn significations, which I, I don't think are quite as present during Saturn in Aquarius. You see you see a lot of laws being drafted, important laws being drafted and passed during Saturn in Aquarius. And that's certainly an important thing uh, that affects the material, you know, the materiality of our lives. But a, a law is an abstract, airy thing, whereas with, it's more abstract. Yeah, and that's that's Saturn too. Saturn's more, right? Capricorn's more real, right? right? Like yeah, the yeah. law is an idea, um, mm -hmm. whereas like my bill, you know, my home is a physical structure. Um, and so I think we are a little bit. We we do need to shade a little bit towards the material. Um, right. The other, th the other thing that uh, the other thing that really uh, kind of clues me into what Capricorn is really about is to remember that Capricorn isn't just where Saturn is at home, but you know, which makes it this sort of naturally serious, somber place. But it's also where Mars is exalted. You know, so this is a place where kind of action and violence is kind of well directed. You know, Mars kind of gets like a Saturnian edge to its blade in this sign. It's where Jupiter is in its fall. This is not a happy place. This is a place where justice, you know, isn't really supported. It's not about your feelings. It's not about, you know, Jupiter. Like Jupiter is like not at home in this in this sign. The moon, forget about it. You know, emotion, you know, emotional needs are not really supported in the sign. This is a tough sign. You know, you're going to get in here. You're going to, you know, go by the rules of Saturn. Like, this is not a place for moon and Jupiter people. You know, this is a place to go if you're a tough guy like Mars or a serious person like Saturn. You know, it's uh, kind of a, it's uh, that this, that's sort of what clues me into, um, you know, this sort of general idea of Capricorn is, you know, what planets are supported in this sign, which yeah. planets are not really welcome in this sign, you know? Um, well, and so, 
yeah. if I can jump in on that. Um, yeah. And so one way to think about it from, let's say, sort of an electional point of view, um, if you have like a, a sweet and squishy sign, let's say, you know, where we're the, so the moon and Jupiter are very happy in Cancer, right? And so if you want to do like sweet, loving, gentle, organic growth sort of stuff, that's, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, Venus and Jupiter in, in Cancer would be the perfect place to do that. But life requires many other types of activities, and life requires Saturnian and martial activities, right? Where there are things, uh, there are lots of things which require a stoic or even fierce attitude um, that life absolutely requires. And so that's Capricorn, right? Um, uh, archetypally. And Saturn there, we could say, is a good time to do hard things. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So, you know, part of the thing that we're going to be focusing on, of course, one of the things that the image I was showing uh, just a minute ago was the uh, traditional rulership scheme for for anybody that's not familiar with it, which is the association uh, that's been around for about 2000 years now between each of the seven visible planets and each of the 12 signs of the zodiac, where they assigned the sun and the moon to Cancer and uh, Leo, and then each of the other traditional visible planets were assigned to flanking signs, the sort of moving out in zodiacal order, first to Mercury, assigned to Gemini and Virgo, then Venus, then Mars in Aries and Scorpio, then Jupiter, and finally Saturn being the furthest and the slowest and the dimmest of the visible planets gets assigned to Capricorn and Aquarius. Uh, the two signs that are opposite to the two luminaries, uh, the sun and the moon and Cancer and Leo. And so- Light versus dark. Right. So a lot of those significations from Saturn and even many of them from Tarnus end up focusing on this contrast between what the sun and moon signify as the two lights or the two luminaries in Cancer and Leo, and then what Saturn indicates or signifies in contrast or in opposition to as literally being on the opposite side of the zodiac from those two. And one part of that is the manifestation of Saturn in Capricorn being in a, a feminine Earth cardinal sign, and the other is Saturn's manifestation as the traditional ruler of Aquarius in a fixed air uh, masculine sign. So today we're going to focus a lot on Saturn and his sort of feminine and earthy uh, manifestation in Capricorn, but there is that other side, as you guys were talking about, or as you mentioned, Austin, which is the more sort of airy uh, side of Saturn, which is in Aquarius. Yeah. So, and then just for another visual, um, can you guys see this from the circular calendar? Mm -hmm. I can see most of the top, or I can see the top half. You can see Saturn. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm focusing on here is just Saturn right there in the middle. This is from the circular planetary movements calendar that Paula Bellomini and I designed this year for 2018. And right there, it shows Saturn at the very start of 2018, ingressing and making his way into Capricorn. Eventually, it's going to go retrograde. What, do you guys know what degree stations retrograde at in 2018? It's like 10? Uh, 11 or 9? Yeah, I mean, it should be somewhere around I think there. It's two, I think it's... But I think it was, I think it's two to nine. Okay, two to nine is what I remember. 
Okay, so it stations there and then it retrogrades back to early Capricorn where it stations direct and then moves forward again until it gets to almost mid Capricorn by the end of 2018. So of course that's only you know this year of 2018 and we're talking about a period that's going to span from uh you know Saturn going into Capricorn in December of 2017 all the way until I think uh December of 2020 is when Saturn will finally leave Capricorn for the very last time. So it's a full, essentially three-year-long transit of Saturn through that sign. Uh, Of course, one of the big things that we can notice right away is it's going to catch up to Pluto at some point, who's been transiting through Capricorn for about a decade now. And I know, Patrick, you've got a lot to say. I know both of you actually have a lot to say about that, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I just wanted to have a quick just visualization of Saturn and look how how far i mean one of the things one of the reasons we designed this calendar is so that you could visually see how far saturn will move compared to any of the other planets over the course of an entire year he really just moves through you know about a third of the sign of capricorn over the course of 12 months whereas the rest of the planets jupiter is moving around in scorpio and then eventually by the end of the year he's a full 30 degrees over in the middle of Sagittarius. Mars makes his way around. He's going to go retrograde this year, so he doesn't get that far, but he still makes it through what? One, two, three, four, five signs of the zodiac. Mercury, of course, makes his way all the way around. Venus goes almost all the way around the zodiac. Uh, Saturn, though, really takes his time moving through each of these zodiacal signs. And there's something very important about that just because of the way it can sort of grind through. And emphasize not just that sign of the zodiac, but also a certain part of your birth chart or the a certain part of any other chart, so that you really get the point of what that transit is about in a very particular way over the course of let's say a year or two or three as it's moving through a certain sign. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, in terms of Saturn and its rulership, it, Capricorn being in one of its home signs. I think one of the points that you made, Austin, is just that we're going to get a much more pure representation of Saturn, or that's one of the things that we're expecting as a result of it moving into that sign, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All of those, all of those fundamental themes that we discussed should be very clear. Sure. And, and Patrick, that was one of the things you were saying as well in contrasting it with Saturn moving through Sagittarius, where uh you know the manifestation was saturn expressing itself often through jupiter's significations so things like travel you you pointed to bridges for example like saturn building going from a to b yeah an adventure going going to going somewhere you know connecting places uh whereas capricorn is like holding up in a place and just staying there you know in capricorn it's, yeah well i you know and we'll get into the freeway this. versus the prison yeah well i you know i the way i was trying to balance the um imprisonment theme with saturn and capricorn is you know it's imprisonment and fortification are two sides of the same coin um if you have like a giant super secure stony palace that's awesome you know, you're fortified. If things go bad, you're fine. However, if somebody's keeping you inside of one of those, we call it a prison, right? It depends. Right. <laughs> it very much depends. Do you want to be in? Yeah. Do you, yeah. I mean, yeah. See, the fortress keeping you. It, some. I mean, I. That's sort of. That's what it really is. It's. It's. Uh. What keeps you? What keeps things out? Right. Or you know, as well as what keeps maybe you in. You know. Right. And um, uh, and again, that can be. 
amazing the, or terrible, depending right, on, and this, on this, yeah. where you are in that same picture of the big stony building. And and this shows up so literally with Saturn and Capricorn transits. It's it's crazy. Um, I mean, just as an example, I know we're going to get to like historical examples and stuff, but like for example, the Berlin Wall was first erected in the nineteen sixty uh, Saturn and Capricorn period, and that literally just you know was sectioning off you know uh, East Berlin well, and West Berlin from and each it was- other and. It was a symbol of, <laughs> of literally dividing the world in yeah. two. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it was a war, you know, this war builder to just totally isolate people. And then, and then of course, at the Saturn return uh, in the early 90s or, you know, 1990s when the- 89? Uh, well, well, 89, November 89 was when the- um, was when the protesters, you know, that's when people were like, you know, smashing it down with the with the hammers and stuff. But it wasn't actually until the next year that the military officially did that, and they did that when it reached the degree of the um, of the construction. I think it was, yeah, construction began on the Berlin Wall on August thirteenth, nineteen sixty one, and Saturn was at twenty four degrees of Capricorn, and then the East German military officially began dismantling it. On June thirteenth, nineteen ninety, when Saturn was back at twenty four degrees of Capricorn, so that's amazing. Uh, yeah, isn't that cool? So, I mean, literally, like you said, the demolition team came in and smashed down the wall. Right. So, it can be both the the construction of of walls and barriers and things like that, but also the removal of those things. Although, as we'll get into, yeah. you know, the nineteen eighties were a special case because we also had Uranus Neptune there in Capricorn at the same time. And and that's going right. to, in just a second, provide a nice transition into our next topic, which is the major planet that Saturn's going to meet up in Capricorn this time around, which is that conjunction with Pluto. So uh, that is a good segue to, I wanted to, for uh, people watching the video version of this that I'm going to post on YouTube, I wanted to share the screen. One of the things that's funny about tonight, we sort of have been planning to do this for for a month or two, but we sort of threw it together over the past few days and finally decided let's do it. And of course, uh, tonight we've got a, a, a nice little, uh, nice not little, a gigantic Capricorn stellium of like six planets going through Capricorn for our electional chart for recording this episode tonight. So we've got Saturn uh, Virgo rising. I believe we started with Virgo rising, early Virgo rising. Saturn and Capricorn at three degrees. The Moon. At four degrees of Capricorn separating from Saturn and applying to a conjunction with Mercury at five degrees of Capricorn. We've got Pluto at 19, Capricorn, uh, the Sun at 24, and finally Venus at 26 degrees of Capricorn. So six planets, that's like a, a quite a stellium. Like usually, you know, four planets for me is a stellium. I'm one of those. There's a, apparently there's a debate about this, and some people say three planets is a stellium. I'm a, I'm a four planet stellium person myself, but. I don't know about you guys. Are you, you guys three planet? I agree. I think at least at least four. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't. Um, you don't care. I don't care. I yeah. mean, if it's three, it's three. If it's four, it's four. Three is significant. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Four is more I mean, significant in that direction. I I'm, I guess I'm not that concerned about that word. Sure, stellium. Well, it's one of those words that people get fixated on very early in their studies, especially if you have a stellium, but that becomes slightly less important just like like yod or something like that like i have a yeah you know somebody says they have a yod in their chart and 
attaching that word doesn't change my my interpretation of that you know configuration i mean if if you have you know a bunch of planets in a sign then you just gotta you know interpret those planets being in the sign regardless of whether you call it a stellium or a super stellium or a mega you know it there's no you know difference really all right you know but but if i but if i were gonna but if i was gonna use the word i guess i'd say well maybe at least four but yeah it doesn't matter sure all right. Well, this is definitely, let's say, a stellium. I think there's nobody sure. that's going to argue that point. Uh, with Actually, it's a super stellium. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so this is our, our starting point then for recording this discussion. And so Saturn, in the last transit, you know, I'm, I'm still like laying down some foundational stuff in terms of uh, outlining the parameters of Saturn and Capricorn. And one of the things that was weird about, you know, last time, of course, is we had this gray area where Saturn, I think, first ingressed into Sagittarius in like late 2014, but then it retrograded back into Scorpio before finally eventually going back into Sagittarius for the final time. We don't have that in this instance. In this instance, it just you know went straight into Capricorn in December of 2017 and will now stay there for the next two to three years, basically, right? At least in terms of the first no, part no of that. Backsies. No takes backsies. And, and already, I mean, I've started to see, you know, because in my approach using whole sign houses, as soon as planet a planet ingresses into a new sign, it moves into a new house. And you can immediately start seeing some of the, the circumstances and, and the situations that are going to be associated with that transit over the next two to three years as soon as it ingresses in. And I'm already seeing that in, in a lot of people's lives around me. Have you guys seen similar things? Oh, just dramatic. Dramatic. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Just uh, appalling. Okay. <laughs> it, I, this is the one time, you know, I've seen, I got exactly what I expected might happen and it, I'm not any happier for it. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> um, yeah. And we'll get into some of those examples later. But so, anyways, just animating the chart, Saturn's going to be moving through Capricorn. And of course, it stations retrograde and direct and goes back and forth a few different times over the course of the next few years. Um, but in terms of the ending phases of the transit, eventually it does get, uh, it does go into Aquarius and sort of like dips its toe into Aquarius at some point very late in the game, uh, I believe, right? Do you guys know when the first ingress takes so, place? Yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it's back and forth in 2020. Yeah, it's sort of mid. I just know that the middle of 2020, there's a little bit of Saturn Aquarius. Okay, here it is. It's It looks like March of 2020, Saturn first ingresses into Aquarius. But what happens is that it's not finished with its transit of Saturn and Capricorn. And eventually it stations retrograde and moves back into Capricorn uh, later that year. Um, it looks like like by like June or July, it, goes back, it retrogrades back into Capricorn. And then it stations direct by the late summer early fall in the northern hemisphere and then eventually it uh, ingresses in, into aquarius and leaves capricorn for the final time uh, in december of 2020 it looks like right around december 16th right yeah yeah okay so december 16th of 2020 december 16th december 17th is going to be the end of Saturn transiting through Capricorn. So that's that sets the final limit of our discussion in terms of the time frame we're talking about, which is mid-December of uh, 2017 through mid-December of 2020. So with those parameters now defined, why don't we talk a bit about 
the unique part of the Saturn transit because that's one of the things we we've we've talked about Saturn and its essential essence. We've tried to talk a little bit about Capricorn and its essence. One of the complications, though, that we talked about that we've mentioned already in terms of trying to discuss what this is going to mean is that Saturn very rarely is just transiting through that sign on its own, but instead in different eras, it will meet up with other outer planets. And sometimes that can color and really influence the expression of Saturn and Capricorn. This time around, the big difference, and one of the major things that's going to make a difference that a lot of astrologers are, are talking about and focused on, is that Saturn is going to conjoin Pluto exactly at different points, a few different times, uh, eventually once it gets into the middle in late degrees of Capricorn, right? So I believe there's just one exact conjunction. Oh, there's just one. It just passes by once, and then yes, once. Wow. It's I believe it's on I believe it's on February twenty second, twenty twenty. I I believe it's like that two, is two, 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 two. Okay, so that is towards the very end then of the transit. So so I think it's February February the second month twenty second day of the second month on twenty twenty in. At 22 Capricorn. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> or, a conspiracy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Two, two, two. Yeah. So um, that number kind of jumps out. But yeah, I, I don't know how much to make of that. But Well, yeah, so it's, even though it's only going to make one perfect conjunction, it will be sharing the sign with Pluto the entire time. And yeah. so that's, you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar, that's a condition called co-presence, um, which is not as strong as a conjunction, but is very meaningful. Um, and Watson, I know you have a bunch of good stuff uh, that you dug up about Saturn-Pluto co-presences. Yeah, so basically, um, we have to understand how kind of rare this is. Uh, Saturn-Pluto conjunctions, what I found out is that Saturn-Pluto conjunctions happen in the same part of the Zodiac every 735-ish years. So the last time that Saturn was conjunct Pluto close to this degree was in the year 1284, 700 uh, years ago. Wait, uh, do I have that right? Yeah, 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 1284. Um, there was another time that Saturn was uh, conjunct Pluto in Capricorn, uh, and that was in 1518, but that was at four degrees of Capricorn. Um, so, yeah, in the year 1284, that was the last time Jupiter and Saturn were um, in that sign together. Yeah, close to those degrees. It's, it precesses a few degrees back, but that's like basically the Saturn-Pluto recurrence is uh, 750, 735 to 736 year um, recurrence. And so I don't know what exactly to expect. I, I mean, I haven't really done much work with this aside from just kind of finding this out and seeing what historical parallels there might possibly be. I don't know. It's not going to be something that connects immediately, obviously, because I mean, everyone from that time is, you know, totally dead, but there is, a, there are a couple of uh, strange things, which they found like, for example, um, in 1284, that was basically when Wales, the country of Wales was totally dominated by the United Kingdom and has kind of been under the possession ever since. And it was a very brutal and bloody battle that basically led to Wales becoming part of the, you know, uh, under the dominion of the English king and ultimately part of the UK. And what's interesting about that is that 
it meant that in in 1284, that was the year of the first Prince of Wales who was an Englishman. And the only reason that is significant now is because we're now coming up to the likely death of the Queen Elizabeth II, who will now, you know, if, if, uh, if, uh, you know, her son, Prince Charles, is, who is currently the Prince of Wales, takes over, um, we will now uh, have a uh, a new Prince of Wales who would be um, w- w- William, I suppose. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are kind of wondering about what's ultimately to become of the monarchy in the modern age. Uh, simple, you know, there, are, there have been some calls to potentially, like, abolish the English monarchy after Queen Elizabeth dies. Uh, so it'd be very weird and interesting if there were something uh, that comes about as a result of um, Queen Elizabeth's death that might, um, uh, you know, change the relationship between Wales and England as it did at the previous Saturn-Pluto conjunction all the way back in 1284, where we had the first Prince of Wales who was an Englishman. Um, and she's actually... Uh, uh, Capricorn rising, isn't she? Uh, yeah. Also, she, or she, she. I think she kind of has. Uh, I think she has her. Uh, she has a significant Uranus, uh, Taurus placement as well. So, like when Uranus enters Taurus, that's like right on Prince Charles's midheaven. Um, so that would sort of like something significant is happening. That's the only thing I can think of that would that would potentially bring this about is the death of Queen Elizabeth and then some sort of reorganization with the relationship between Wales and the UK. Um, but, uh, sure. but, but in terms yeah. of the, <laughs> so in terms of the broader, you know, since we kind of broke yeah. down Saturn a little bit and we broke down Capricorn, maybe we should do a little bit of that with Pluto in terms of, um, I mean, Austin, what are, what are some of the core primary significations that you associate with Pluto that might be relevant in terms of understanding what it's going to do or what it means, what its significations are when Saturn catches up to it. Yeah. Well, so I tend to think of Pluto because it's such a, a different uh, creature than all of the rest of the planets. You know, it's in an entirely different um, layer of the solar system. Its composition is very different. Its orbit is um, very, oh, uh, very, very elliptical and it's inclined. I, I tend to kind of put Pluto in its own category. Um, and I tend to see Pluto more as um, a really intense modifier to other planets. Um, right. Like, I, an, like an intensification of the significations of the planets it touches. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's, that, sometimes that's a total disruption of them. Sometimes it gives them weird superpowers. If I were going to um, associate what Pluto seems to do uh, with any of the traditional points, I would say they're Pluto is more like the the nodes. It's more like the eclipse points um, in the in in the sense that it strongly modifies that which it touches. Um, it's sort of I you know you think of it like all the, the 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 planets are colors that you're painting with. And then Pluto is like, hey, what happened? What would happen if I blowtorched this canvas? It's like this fully other element. Um, the the things. Right. Well, uh, well, that's you know, actually um, let, let's let's actually sit on that for a minute because that's a good point in comparison. Because when you think about Pluto doing that with other inner planets, like it actually becomes really clear, you know, what it's doing in that intensifying factor. Like, for example, let's say a Pluto Venus conjunction taking. 
the principle of Venus, uh, many of the significations underlying Venus is like love and relationships. And then uh, when you add like a conjunction with Pluto, or let's say a hard aspect with Pluto, there is this this extreme intensification of like the relationship or the relating impulse, which uh, can sometimes go extremely well in, in deepening that far deeper than it ever could be, and other times can go very not well in turning into almost like an obsession uh, or, or sort of an obsession type relationship uh, scenario that can be unhealthy in, in some sense, right? Without being too literal, I think Pluto makes uh, planets radioactive, you know, it, uh, and that's either like, you know, radioactive superpowers yeah. or like nuclear meltdown, like, um, you know, so we're going to get a radioactive Saturn. I mean, the, I, I, uh, I always thought that Richard Tarnas did a really great job of uh, explaining the Saturn-Pluto archetype. Um, but basically, he talks about how it, uh, Pluto empowers the Saturnian, you know, complex. Actually, uh, so I and, have to uh, interrupt you for just a second. Yeah. Sorry. You were talking about m- making Saturn radioactive. The type yeah. of superpower is totally the traumatic 50s comic book where if there's a superpower, it's because they were exposed to cosmic rays and went through a torturous transformation into blah, 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 woman or blah, right. blah, Spider-Man. blah. Right. It's if yeah. it, when it empowers, it doesn't empower gently. Who Who is the, in right. the, uh, sorry, the, the comic book, uh, Watchmen, uh, Dr. Oh, Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example. Um, so what I, what I find is that Saturn, you know, when Saturn is hit by Pluto, we kind of get like, I mean, Saturn's already kind of like the worst things that happen in life. So on Pluto, when, when, uh, you know, when Saturn, when Saturn hits Pluto, it's, it's, it's like the very worst things that we, that we see. I mean, from our own history, even just from the 20th century, uh, you know, World War One broke out very close to a Saturn Pluto conjunction in Cancer. The, the squares coincided with the rise of fascism in Europe. The the other square uh, was from the um, uh, there was a there was a square between Saturn and Pluto right before the invasion of Poland, uh, which started World War Two, and then we had the Saturn Pluto conjunction in 1947, which was basically at the conclusion of the Nuremberg trials, which ended essentially the so that was like a World War cycle that cycle from uh, you know the Saturn Pluto cycle, which began in the uh, early uh, 19 teens to 1947. Then from 1947 to 1982, that's another full sort of Saturn Pluto cycle. So, you know, 1947 is the establishment of the state of Israel. And of course, that creates like this huge, you know, uh, issue with Israel and Palestine being locked in not just like any kind of division, but like an, an eternal like battle, seemingly an eternal kind of division. Um, and, uh, and uh, and in 1982, that's when, um, you know, due to the Israel and Lebanon war, that's when Osama bin Laden gets this idea about ramming uh, planes into towers. And then at the Saturn-Pluto opposition in 2001, we get 9-11. You know, so Saturn-Pluto is like kind of like the very worst things in life, but kind of brought to this crazy extreme. So like genocide and like, you know, intractable conflicts, disease, terrorism, things that really cause a lot of fear in in people and uh so it's uh, you know i don't want to i don't want to fear manga you know but i also just want to honestly account for the kinds of things which seem to pop up you know when 
when Saturn and Pluto come together, you know, you get human rights abuses, mass killings, terrorism, all of those kinds of really just, I mean, really like almost unspeakably awful kinds of things which kind of happen to people. Um, sure. You know, that, that keyword of extreme or, or extremism, I think, is a good one because right. you could take that in either direction in a, in a very positive or often very negative way. But it's the well, idea of it blowing it up and taking it to the utmost extreme. Well, I will say that the positive side of that, though, is that it also takes an extreme toughness to be able to deal with and withstand these kinds of threats against humanity and survival. You know, so, I mean, you want a Saturn-Pluto person going up against Saturn-Pluto issues. Like, you want, you know, these 1981 to 1983 people who came about from the time when the world nearly blew up in Inferno between the US and Russia, um, you know, when the world came closest to an apocalypse. The idea of not just the end, but like the apocalypse, that's another very uh, kind of common theme across these different Saturn-Pluto cycles of people feeling like they reached the end of their respective worlds or cultures. The Welsh lost their culture. You know, the, uh, the, 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 the Germans totally in defeat. The, uh, the, 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 the Mongols, you know, totally taking over, you know, China back in, uh, you know, the 1500s, like these major Saturn Pluto, um, conjunctions and oppositions, you know, that seems to be uh, a really kind of common thing. Another common thing is, uh, slavery. You know, the uh, the issue of the topic of slavery comes up a lot during Saturn-Pluto conjunctions. Like, for example, actually, back at the uh, 1518 Saturn, Capri- Saturn and Pluto Capricorn conjunction, uh, that was the year that King James V uh, basically legally decreed that African slaves would be brought to the New World as slaves uh, to work. And... Um, you know, thus sort of unofficially inaugurating like the legacy of slavery, like not just so slavery in a Saturn is just like a hard day at work. You know, Saturn Pluto is like, you are fucking like, oh, sorry, pardon me. You are totally like screwed over. You know, you are a slave now. You're not just going to work. You are, you are property. Like it's, and, and all associated ills of that, you know, um, sin you know, uh, reverberate across the centuries through the Saturn-Pluto cycle. You know, in the, if you look back at the history of the Civil War, you know, you see that there's a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in, in the, you know, 1850, you know, which kind of led to a lot of the events, you know, that ultimately led to the Civil War and uh, the rise of domestic terrorist groups. The KKK first uh, came about under the Saturn-Pluto opposition right after the uh, Civil War. Uh, then the KKK came back, uh, at the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in the 19-teens. And then during the Saturn-Pluto opposition in the 60s, you had the KKK come back, um, uh, you know, in, in opposition to the civil rights uh, period of the era. And then you have, uh, and we seem to, I mean, Saturn's back in Pluto, uh, Saturn's about now co-present with Pluto. I think we're going to be kind of seeing this theme of like hate groups, uh, and things like domestic terrorism, all of those issues really come to, you know, a big head because we're really, we're coming from the, uh, you know, we're coming to the end in some ways of a cycle that was started in the early 80s uh, from the last Saturn-Pluto period. And that that's, that sort of encompasses this these ideas of, of, of terrorism and, and hate groups and all this 
stuff. So sure. there's, so like it, yeah. So I mean, as far as like Saturn Pluto on just a conceptual level, you can see how like yeah, Pluto is taking Saturn and just making it radioactive. Like it's not just your average bad stuff. It's like the really really terrible stuff. Sure. Uh, and Austin, what do you what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's not often that I get uh, put in the position to be the positive one. Uh, right. Let me, please, let me, let me... please save us from Patrick's uh, <laughs> depressing, but uh, very probably accurate, unfortunately, overview of Saturn and, and Pluto through history. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, the if you're going to track cycles, the Saturn-Pluto cycle is the most depressing to track. It's right. not the only thing happening at any point in yeah. time. There's a huge difference between um, what happened in the early 80s and the outbreak of World War I, right? right? I mean, the early you, you might have felt that that was a bummer in the early 80s, but they're um, not at all on the, on the same scale. And although um, the establishment of the beginning of the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict is certainly not something we can look to as bad – um, World War II, which it followed, was considerably worse, right? So these conjunctions are um, don't always mark um, they don't always mark peak nightmare, right? If in, you know if we're looking at um, uh, you know if we're looking at the one in the late forties, that was what followed peak nightmare. Um, what they what they do do um, uh, in addition to bringing up the topics and you know they bring up the reality of those things. But they <clears throat> they also bring up the fear of them, um, yes. which may or may not be the same. You know, which you know, the, there's something to be said for um, uh, the traumas of the past echoing through the present. Um, you know, one of the points I wanted to make that I, I think gets made by several of the things we're going to talk about, and we've already talked about, is this run of Saturn through Capricorn has, uh, in a lot of ways, it's about it's the end of a thing, right? Um, I, you know, to use the um, the horrid example of slavery, I don't think we're going to see slavery reestablished. No, but we are coming to like maybe, 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 hopefully, maybe this is like we work we work through that toxic legacy on a deeper level during this time than we have for a long time. Um, another uh, another sort of coming to the end of factor here is, and I'll try to make this brief because I don't want to get too technical about it, but um, the Saturn's time in Capricorn gives us the last three years of what's been an over two-century uh, cycle of Saturn-Jupiter conjunctions in Earth signs, and the Saturn-Jupiter uh, Saturn conjunctions being in signs of a particular element for 200-ish years at a time is one of the sturdiest building blocks of mundane astrology and has been for uh, at least 1,200-ish years, probably older, but sources um, that we have, about 1,200. And when you look back at history in terms of centuries and arcs, um, it's very convincing. And so, you know, forget about the age of Aquarius – we're, we've just started the, the last three-year countdown to um, history since the beginning of the 19th century. The last one began uh, in 1802 with, um, with Napoleon uh, trying to take over all of Europe. 
and we've had every industrial revolution since then. We've had a whole lot of people fighting about territory and resources and control. This is, we've been this is the last three years of the Earth cycle. And um, like literally like a week after Saturn goes into <laughs> Aquarius at the end of 2020, we get the beginning of 200 years of air. And air isn't necessarily rainbows, um, but it's different. Um, and where we are right now and where we're going to be through the this entire Saturn and Capricorn period is we're going to be wrapping up, looking back, probably also breaking down and throwing away some of the some of the structures um, mentally, uh, you know, mentally, emotionally, and otherwise um, that we've had to deal with for the last you know two hundred that we've built up over the last two hundred years. The last two hundred years have a very complicated legacy, um, and so there's that sort of endings before beginnings quality with us just just from the view viewpoint of the triplicity cycle, and then that endings before beginnings theme is. 100% there with Pluto. Um, and um, during 2019 and part of 2020, we're going to have um, uh, solar and lunar eclipses on the south node right next to Saturn. The south node is also uh, also very much bringing up and processing old stuff. And so there are, you know, you can look at this from a variety of angles and you kind of end up with that um, sorting through and dealing with the past and not necessarily just celebrating the great things that have happened. I think that's I, going to be, I a, think, go ahead. yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that I think when people look back on this time period in the future, I think that, I don't know exactly what they would call it, but I think that whatever name they would give it would have some allusion to like the end of, like, yeah. The endings of this was the end of this. Like this, the, that the theme of endings will come across, will will reverberate through many different spheres. Whether it's you know political, economic, uh, social, the, the the sort of the structures we built up to support society on will be kind of irrelevant or not. You know the point right. sort of beside and, and the point. It would have been the end um, just in and of itself due to the shift of the jupiter saturn conjunction cycle that you guys are talking about that like that in and of itself the shift into from the earth triplicity where it has done that for, in the jupiter saturn conjunctions have been in all earth signs for like a couple of hundred years and then shifting into air signs for a couple of hundred years in and of itself would it have indicated a big shift but the fact that saturn is hitting pluto at the very end of that seems like an intensification or exaggeration of that and there are going to be I eclipses mean, yeah. on top of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It, I mean, it, the, the skies yeah. speak clearly. Um, oh, and just one thing, just one point, um, just so I don't get uh, lecturing emails. Yes, I know about the difference between the mean and apparent conjunctions of Saturn and Jupiter. And yes, I'm aware of the premature Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Libra in the early 80s. I'm just not trying to get into all of that right now. But yeah, well, um, I'm glad that you know that. That's cool. We can talk about it. But I'm I'm aware of that. But this is the what we're looking at in 2020 is the apparent. You can actually see it. Jupiter Saturn conjunction in an air sign that will be followed only by Jupiter Saturn conjunctions in air signs. And right. that's why it's the final piece of moving from Earth to air. It is the last the last time that we had Jupiter Saturn and Pluto kind of all together in the same part of the zodiac around this degree was 
1894 BC. So to give you kind of an idea of like how sort of almost epochal this uh, transit may be. Now, Jupiter-Saturn has been completed before, but just in different areas of the Zodiac. So Was that, um, was that the, uh, the first intermediate period in ancient Egyptian here? history 1894 bc i, I, I don't know about the day but, uh, i believe right that, right that's right around <laughs> the, there. june two, june 2nd yeah. uh right. yeah the hyksos are gonna invade watch yourselves <laughs> yeah i yeah I, I can't i can't speak to what exactly that that will mean but yeah the the theme we were talking um earlier about how uh this theme of endings will uh be present and one way that i've kind of already figured out that we'll be thinking of endings is just in terms of like popular entertainment. Uh, the fact that in 2019 and 2020, that's gonna, those are the years where we're going to be seeing the final star Wars film, like the final uh, Skywalker saga when episode nine comes out is happening at that time. It's to the end of that. That's really probably um, the most important franchise. world event in terms of. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, but it goes on because, you know, people been watching uh game of Thrones for, you know, uh, seven years now all right and i, I so take that, that back that's will... actually probably the most important world to <laughs> yeah, find yeah, that will take you know, place around this yeah, time. So, so the final the final season so game of thrones is ending star wars is ending avengers the original you know lineup of avengers this is gonna be the last movie you know where a lot of them are going to be in it you know according to the contract so the avengers will be ending this like we're we're kind of having to say goodbye to a lot of you know our our favorite you know, characters and franchises. It's going to be kind of a, you know, as you said, Austin earlier, like a time for new stories. And, yeah. you know, this is like the closing of the book, the closing of the, uh, of the, those chapters. You yeah. Know, I, I love, I love that point about narratives um, because I think that we can make that a little bit bigger um, and we need new stories. Um, you know, we've been doing reboots for a while and if we're just, Looking at uh, again, if we're looking at our position within a 200 ish year cycle, and we're like, we've been closing it out, you know, for a while now, and you know, um, the reboot thing has become uh, epidemic in Hollywood, and you know, we need new stories. Um, even our stories about the future were written 50 years ago, people, or 30 or 40 years ago, people are like. Oh, wow. You know, like, um, you know, dystopias, like we're not even writing our own or we're not even writing new dystopias. We're like rehashing William Gibson and we're rehashing 1984. Right. Like all, we, we keep looking, even when we're looking at the future, we tend to keep doing it culturally through the eyes of the past. And I mean, another part of that is the Neptune Pisces thing and nostalgia and all of that stuff. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, luckily, we do have a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction Aquarius coming up. Yeah, and we do. You know, any sign is that I think would be the remedy to that, you know, I would imagine <laughs> Jupiter-Saturn conjunction Aquarius kind of fits the bill. Well, yeah. And, and there's broader also long-term huge societal things obviously changing. The advent of the internet, of course, over the past 20 years has already accelerated uh you know technological and societal shifts far beyond like anything anyone could have anticipated or far beyond other shifts uh you know you have discussions about things like the singularity and and at what point um artificial intelligence is going to happen with speculations that it's coming up sometime in the next few decades the creation of you know a true artificial intelligence and what implications that would have for Many different areas of of society and the world in general. You have the 
recent sort of um, advent of cryptocurrencies and digital currencies and the sort of um, implications that that has for uh, world trade and world currencies. Uh, you have the, you know, we've been going through the Saturn Jupiter conjunctions and Earth signs for 200 years during the course of the industrial age. And now with automation uh, starting to take place and starting to take over and the automation of many of those things, what that's going to do to different parts of society. And we're already starting to see some of that. So, you know, we don't even have to focus on, on shorter term cultural trends, but right. there's some major long term cultural trends that we're all aware of. And we can kind of see that we're on the precipice of something, but um, self driving cars, you know, sex robots. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah well, <laughs> um, you know, uh, just to link that back to the triplicity cycle. Um, so the mean conjunction, which is a mathematically idealized conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn um, in air signs, began in 2000. And we're, in a sense, the, the air age has already begun, right? You know, it's digital everything. It's just that the apparent conjunction, the one that we can actually see, hasn't happened. And it's, you know, in many ways, it's the future is here. We just haven't caught up. I mean, we can't see it yeah. yet. And that, I, I think that's part yet. of the yeah. difference between the apparent and the mean. Um, Genius. Sure. And, and that's something that uh, Ben Dykes and I talked about in a past episode of the Astrology Podcast where we discussed one of his, I think one of his, his two-volume series on mundane astrology, which was a bunch of translations of uh, works of medieval astrologers where they talked about and dealt with this distinction between the mean conjunctions and the apparent conjunctions. So people can check that episode out for more information about that. Let me see what uh, it looks like it's episode 36 of the Astrology Podcast. If you go to the website, theastrologypodcast.com, and go to episodes, go to episode 36, and you'll hear all you ever wanted to hear. I think we talked about that for like 30 minutes. So no need, no need to worry too much about it, Austin, in referring to people that might criticize whether you're using the mean or apparent conjunction. Um, well, it's just complicated. And I don't want to spend like half an hour. Yeah, and, and there's the no real right. reason to. So just yeah. people can listen to that episode. Um, one of the things I'm showing right now on the screen for the video version is just the actual to the degree conjunction of Saturn and Pluto. It looks like it takes place on January twelfth, twenty twenty, and you know we February twenty second. Yeah, I, for whatever reason, I just wanted to show it here. Um, okay. yeah. So that conjunction takes place then, but as soon as Saturn moved into Capricorn, one point that we really need to emphasize here is that conjunction started to form at that point. So I know you know we were talking about what quotes to use, and, and I mentioned you know using that quote from Richard Tarnas, and Tarnas is sometimes criticized for using overly wide orbs, but I actually would extend those orbs to the extent that. I think a conjunction begins as as soon as two planets move into the same signs, and you can see the significations of those two planets starting to mix together and, and commingle and start to the, the the circumstances and the scenarios that will eventually culminate at the exact degree based conjunction, which will happen here in January of 2020, really start to be set in motion already when the ingress of, in this instance, Saturn took place in December of 2017. That conjunction with Pluto started to form, so it's still, you know, loose, or or it's still not going to be as intense or as clear as it will be in three years' time. But there's already some themes that will start to form and eventually start to snowball at this point over the next couple of years that will 
become clearer and clearer as we get closer. Yeah, that's another potential bright spot about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction is the fact that Jupiter, you know, uh, will be moving in there. Now, Jupiter isn't welcome in Capricorn, but uh, Jupiter will be, you know, in the vicinity nonetheless, although I can't tell whether that's worse for Jupiter. Um, <laughs> will we, do we just get a, a Saturn-Pluto-ized Jupiter? Do, do we get an evil Jupiter um, when Jupiter comes by Saturn and Pluto? Or... Uh, you know, or does Saturn and Pluto uh, get a little, just a little, you know, smidge more kind <laughs> when uh, Jupiter kind of swings by um, those two planets? Sure. We shall see. Sure. Um, and let's see. So backing up, I mean, where where should we go now? I'm trying to think about if there's any sort of precursor things that we needed to set up, or if we should start jumping into talking about both some natal examples as well as some other additional historical examples. There's there's only one other thing I'd I'd want to say as for more specifically about Saturn Pluto is another another thing about Saturn Pluto cycles or conjunctions when they happen is that the general atmosphere tends to be one where there's heightened paranoia, heightened fear. And sometimes the fear is justified and sometimes it's not. And it's not just fear of, um, it's, for example, at 9-11, it wasn't merely that there were terrorists who hijacked a plane which hid into buildings, but it was also the entire response to that, which was obviously generated by that fear, which built up, you know, this increased fortified um you know, national security apparatus of, of national homeland security. And, uh, and so that's something we might be able to say about, um, 2019, 2020 is that there might be a general atmosphere of, of fear and that we may be tempted to fortify our institutions in order to contain what we're afraid of. Uh, because Saturn Pluto doesn't, it describes it's multivalent, you know, in some ways, it applies to the people. It depends on what your situation is in the context, but either way you are either reacting to something which is Saturn Pluto, or you are uh, reacting in a way that is Saturn and Pluto ish. And another more specific example that happens to tie into my uh, imprisonment theme thing is the fact that uh, since Saturn represents, you know, imprisonment and prisons in general, uh, one of the, um, one of the really interesting events that happened at the last Saturn-Pluto conjunction in 1982 in Libra was uh, the company Core Civic was incorporated, and that was the first uh, privatized uh, prison company in the United States. And they had a huge boom in their business at nine, in after 9/11 because the government gave the contracts for them to create prisons to detain um, immigrants. And so now that we're coming to back to another Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And it's actually in the sign of Capricorn, which we already know. Saturn has these this uh, history with with prisons. I think we're going to see, uh, unfortunately, um, a potential reaction to uh, incidents or terrorist acts which uh, cause this company or the notion of privatized prisons, which we know are abusive of justice in many cases and of law, uh, that they will that will be empowered. That will be an empowered impulse and an, and a uh, uh, a, a likely consequence of uh, you know, terrorist threats or, or otherwise, uh, fortification of the national security apparatus and and uh, the use of 
uh, corporatized prisons, which yeah, that that's just that phrase by itself evokes Saturn, Pluto, Saturn as prison, Pluto is sort of empowering or or powerful, you know, a corporatized uh, prison. Sure. I really like that, what you're saying, the idea of heightened periods of fear or heightened feelings of fear, because fear, you know, in, in a lot of modern astrology textbooks, that's one of the core, I forget who I was reading, I think it was like Bill, Bill, Bill Turney or somebody like that who said one of the core things to him that Saturn signifies is fear and where in a natal chart a person has fear um, in their life or where they have some underlying sense of fear. Because that's something that over the past three years of Saturn going through Sagittarius, I felt that was one of the most clear manifestations of that transit is that Saturn was indicating fear and that Sagittarius was indicating this broader theme of of that which is foreign. And it was like manifesting in this very literal way of like fear of foreigners uh, in different ways over the course of that two to three year period. There is a certain person who is proposing that another wall be built to keep certain people out of this place. Sure. Uh, and, and that's happening as Saturn is now in Capricorn. So who knows if, you know, that will finally come about as a result of, of the transit. Um, so, yeah. Well, so let me, yeah, let me chime in here with, um, something cheery. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to balance, balance yeah, okay, us out again. <laughs> I'm the yeah. resident bummer uh, today. Oh my gosh. Yeah, apparently I'm the I'm, optimist. I'm, um, so, yeah, Saturn Pluto definitely does all that stuff. It brings up that stuff. It times those sort of um, terrible things. Um, but you know, it's, uh, just use the Berlin Wall uh, example. Um, it, you know, we're coming. It's there. You know, we came back to the the topic of walls and decided to tear one down. Here, my idea um, or my my hope, which I think is not unsupported by the configurations we've discussed is that maybe some of this attention on the Saturn-Pluto stuff, because it's so closing out a cycle, will be like, hey, that uh, corporate prison thing, maybe that wasn't no. a good yeah. idea, right? right? You know, that yeah, maybe maybe, maybe some no. of this attention, because it's so end cycle, will, it will, be, it will absolutely fall onto these fearful constructs. Um, but... While some will no doubt be built and more in fear will certainly be generated. I mean, people are always scared when society's in transition. Um, but, you know, maybe some of that attention will be like, let's maybe not do that going forward. Well, well, but sometimes that only happens when something is taken to the utmost extreme and then people see, you know, what it actually looks like to take something to the extreme and how bad that can be. And then it's only, it's only at that point that there's that pulling back and that saying, you know, no, that's too far or that's not a good direction to go. That's True. that's happened before. And Austin, actually one thing another thing all right, I'm gonna try to be more positive from now on, I suppose. Um yeah, leave me room to, to be negative. Right. <laughs> gotta give Austin some <laughs> get out of my space. Right. That's my line. Yeah, um uh so one thing that's actually kind of interesting is we know that people who have Saturn returns, um, that whatever planets are conjunct Saturn or configured with Saturn at the time they were born tend to bring those significations along with their Saturn return. So to your point, Austin, I think it's interesting that this current crop of people who are going to be having their first Saturn return have Uranus and Neptune uh, conjunct the Saturn. And remember, that's the Saturn cycle that brought down a huge world dividing wall. And those people are going to be having their Saturn return at a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So it's basically like the Saturn-Uranus-Neptune people meet Saturn-Pluto. Yeah you know, and, and do battle. 
Um, and the Uranus-Neptune people, it remains to be seen whether they will win out, but we will have a, a huge uh, group of Saturn, Uranus, Neptune people uh, bringing the wall-breaking energy to a uh, wall moment. Yeah. With Saturn. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, that's um, probably the most interesting. So that's a reason for hope. Probably the most interesting Saturn sub-generation uh, coming-of-age stories that we'll see for a while. We'll ever see. We'll ever see. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. And I'm trying to stay, think of staying positive because my other thing, I was going to transition into saying the other you know, possible issue, though, is with Pluto there, the idea of like in consolidation of power. And one of the weird stories that happened, like it was within a day, I felt like of the ingress, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the um, the big tax bill that was passed in the United States happened like wasn't it within a day of Saturn's ingress into Capricorn? Yeah. yeah, it was right at the ingress. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know, without getting like too political or making a statement that where some people are going to agree and other people are going to disagree for political reasons, the fact that that coincided almost exactly with this ingress implies to me that there's either something about that specific event and and the results that it's going to have over the next two to three years or there's some broader theme underlying that in terms of uh, you know some of those those archetypes that is going to become more prominent over the next two to three years and that somehow that event is going to become symbolic or, or sort of like endemic of this entire transit uh, you know what what are those themes that you guys connect with that immediately in in a well taxes is you know traditionally a, a Saturnian in a signification yeah, Saturn so just the on tax that man. level sure, right taxation uh corporations to some extent or or large right sort of impersonal corporations well it's uh yeah good yeah i was just say just um while we're discussing the larger um mundane uh sides of this of this, these issues um with Saturn and Pluto i think one thing that's really that's going to be really clear is it's going to bring a lot of attention um to institutions which are badly out of step with the needs of people, um, you know, or, or if you look at um, the American uh, healthcare system or the American school system, for example, and this isn't just America. I just happen to be more familiar with this country, having lived here. Um, a lot of the, um, you know, the the guts of these systems are, um, you know, decades and decades and decades away from our current situation. You know, I think that's very easy to see with education. You know, that was uh, that was um, uh, ha- like a hybrid uh, agrarian in, uh, early industrial model. Like that's how public school was built. And there have been, te- been a number of extremely ineffective attempts to reform it. Um, but, you know, the, the bones of the thing, um, you know, the, some of the deep structure, there's a Saturn-Pluto key phrase for you, there's some deep structural problems, um, and that's true. Um, that's true for a lot of. Uh, that's true for a lot of things, uh, in large part because we're kind of getting done with these centuries, and um, it takes, especially institutions, which are very large, slow things, a long time to adapt, especially during periods of political turmoil or paralysis. And so, I think like the basically the the problems of um, crumbling, like probably literal crumbling institutions, like some, you know, like there's, why is this school's roof falling in, but also just like non-functional 
institutions will also be a big theme with Saturn and Capricorn, Saturn and Pluto. And that's a good thing. We need to think about those bad things that are happening collectively and hopefully constructively in order to get anything done. It's interesting you say that, Austin, because uh, uh, the one the the Saturn Pluto conjunction happens around twenty three Capricorn, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the big con- uh, connections, as far as like global cooperation or you know global organization, that I've uh, thought of is the fact that the UN, the United Nations, was started uh, uh, on October twenty fourth, nineteen forty five, and on that date, Mars and Saturn are at twenty four Cancer which is, you know, the two malefics of the United Nations exactly opposite this Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Um, and so that, to me, kind of spells like, you know, a time when the United Nations may be facing uh, tumultuous, you know, uh, changes and... Um, well, I, know, I think we uh, can say um, debasing of its with, uh, you know, value. Uh, yeah. Well, I think we can say that that was a, that's an international institution rather than a national right. one. Right. Um, but that it was created um, to address the needs of a time period which are increasingly distant um, from what the world looks like now, um, and right. that there's certain those there there this Saturn. Uh, I'd be very surprised if the Saturn in Capricorn period didn't coincide with with a crisis as to what its role is and right. whether it should exist well, and if so in what form what is its mm-hmm. role in this world right well and it it also and it also hits the natal charts of many world leaders too you know and Angela Merkel you know her son is right there too opposite sat the Saturn Pluto conjunction uh Donald Trump's Saturn is right around that same degree so he'll be having the you know the Saturn opposition of the UN will be the same as uh, as uh, Trump's Saturn opposition at the time of the Saturn Pluto opposition, so uh, that's really you know that's point. yeah. So like, there's a like right around that time. There's a lot of you will probably start one other one other kind of prediction you can make about this coming Saturn Pluto conjunction is the fact that oftentimes the people who are at the center of the drama will be people who were born at Saturn Pluto hard aspects, especially the conjunctions. So people born. In 1947, 1948, people born in 1982, um, 1983, you know, uh, it will also be significant for the kids who are born in 2001, because this will be the first time that the kids born at the opposition kind of reach the, um, you know, conjunction phase of their needle Saturn-Pluto separation. So, uh, you know, you will, will get a lot of people who have points and planets who are uh, you know, in tight configurations with that Saturn-Pluto configuration, as well as people who were born at Saturn-Pluto hard aspects, or people who have Saturn-Pluto like on the angles, you know. Right. So this um, is you know this, this is yeah. a Saturn-Pluto time, and it will call Saturn-Pluto people to be its people its, it, to deal to its starring roles. Right. That's yeah, kind of that's exactly. kind of like how sometimes you, if you have a transit in your chart, like a major transit comes up. Sometimes somebody uh, will come into your life that has that planet or that placement prominent in their chart, and they end up manifesting that transit for you, or they become the physical manifestation of that transit by coming into your life. Right. The same thing happened with the Uranus Pluto square. You know, it was that's when the, um, you know, that's when a lot of people who who are kind of at the center of a lot of those Uranus uh, stories 
uh, kind of came up. You know, for example, Chelsea Manning, you know, born with Sun conjunct Uranus, you know, becomes the center of this, uh, you know, whistleblower um, drama, um, you know, during the Uranus Pluto square. Um, you had, you know, Bashar al Assad, the, you know, uh, president of Syria, born with Sun conjunct Uranus and Pluto. Mm. Um, you know, at the middle of the civil war, uh, Syrian civil war, we know it's taking place across the Uranus Pluto square. So yeah, it's a, it's a common phenomenon. You know, the, when the sky looks a certain way, yeah, the people who kind of match that, they, they, they pop up. Sure. So, um, other themes, one of the themes you guys write wrote down, which might be good to talk about, which can go either way is the theme of credit where credit is due as a general theme of Saturn, uh, in Capricorn. Uh, yeah, that you, was me. That was you. That was a that was my happy realization. Like two days into uh, Saturn Capricorn, is I started noticing just on Facebook and in my life, just started seeing people who had been laboring steadily and somewhat, you know, perhaps even humbly at something, just getting recognized for what they'd been doing. Um, you know, because uh, one of the one of my favorite quick formulas for what Saturn does, uh, I think comes the wording comes from you, Chris, which is confirm or deny. Um, maybe that was you. Maybe that's my interpretation. But I will take you know, credit for that regardless. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> well, give credit where credit is right. due, um, Austin. And that's actually um, absolutely key to the, um, the, the characterization of uh, Saturn in Indian astrology is he gives you credit for what you did. And if you were a villain, then he throws you in a prison. And if you were, you know, if you've been laboring steadily, he's like, that was, that was really good. Keep doing that. Here's, um, here's your back pay. That's another, um, that's another related concept to credit where credit is due that I've been seeing is it's not that Saturn and Capricorn is going to come and give you something you haven't earned, but you might have earned something that you didn't realize. Like you might have actually just had your head down and doing whatever your work is in the world. And Saturn's like, by the way, good job. Here's your back pay for those five years of labor. Um, there's something about uh, there's something about recognizing. You know, we're talking about authority very early on. Just recognizing, like, oh, they've been studying for that twenty for twenty years. Maybe I should listen to them, right? Like that recognizing authority. Um, and sort of, and sorting out, you know, who's an authority and who's not about what I feel like Saturn and Capricorn is very big on, on that, on making those distinctions correctly rather, um, than Saturn and, uh, Sagittarius, which is sort of making those distinctions based on the loudest, um, explosions and most, uh, convincing light show, you know, the, the, uh, the Saturn in Capricorn is not. It doesn't want people wants people to not be. How should we say? Uh, distracted by spectacle, right? So anyway, credit where credit is due, and that also goes for um, people getting what's coming to them, yes. which is like the the mean way to say <laughs> yeah. that. Um, you know, I was inspired by your uh, by your your bid on prisons. Um, it <laughs> sounds funny, uh, Patrick. And I was looking at, I didn't have that much time to research this particular part, but I was like, hmm, I wonder if uh, any famous criminals got brought down during Saturn and Capricorn periods. Oh. Oh, yeah. And I, it took me five minutes to find, oh, Al Capone finally goes Capone. to jail. 
And then wasn't that was he was born at a Sun Mars opposition across Cancer and Capricorn, right? I do not remember. So that's but so the time the timing of his incarnation. And he was like public enemy number one. Um, also, awesome. the the imprisonment of Pablo Escobar, also one of the the 20th century's most famous criminals. He gets put uh, in the La Catedral. Cated- La, La I my Spanish is terrible um he gets put in prison it's a swanky prison and it's super corrupt and he gets to live like a king but he's stuck one place and that eventually leads to his death um and then there was a headline just the other day um about uh a pretty infamous gangster who inspired um the plot for the movie goodfellas he got like he was in like a road rage incident and finally went to jail not for necessarily his crimes, you know, his other crimes, but they finally, you know, they finally got him, which is what happened with Escobar and which is what happened with Al Capone as well. Um, and so there is this, yeah. oh, and the, for those of you who are familiar with it, uh, the, the, there's a documentary on HBO about the Slender Man murders, these, mm-hmm. anyway, um, they're murders and the, um, the, perp- the perpetu- perpetrators just got sentenced like a week into Saturn and Capricorn. So there is, there's definitely this punitive element and it's not always, um, you know, grotesque and unjust. Right. Yeah. Right. The, this idea of Saturn being associated with nemesis in Greek or with retro- retribution is a theme that comes up in Hellenistic astrology. And that's another thing that um, I, I would kind of say, uh, you know, because I, I hope that when people are watching this, they're not necessarily um, trying to decipher or overlay their um, sort of political or personal opinions on top of, you know, uh, these Saturn transits. For example, I mean, sometimes the fears are legitimate that are brought up during Saturn Pluto periods, and other times the fears are, are not. Sometimes that, you know, it ended up not being necessarily a, a thing. And, and, uh, yeah, and I guess it really just depends on your perspective. I mean, you know, like, yeah, that guy either got what was coming to him or like, oh, they had, you know, that poor innocent person got totally, you know, smashed by a Saturn transit. Sure. You know, it, it's, and it uh, does sometimes happen, it, but we have seen, I mean, some of the recent examples with the, you know, this all started happening and then snowballed before Saturn went into Capricorn a few months prior to its ingress, but there have been you know, a number of notable Hollywood celebrities and and politicians and other people that have uh, fallen over the course of the past few months, starting in in the fall to late 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 twenty seventeen. One of them, and, and then are are experiencing the after effects and the results of that now. One of the interesting cases, of course, um, is Kevin Spacey, who is somebody that actually has Saturn uh, in Capricorn natally. So uh, he has Saturn at one degree of Capricorn. So he actually just had or is having his exact Saturn return, his second Saturn return right now uh, in the aftermath of you know all of these allegations come out coming out against him about past actions. And as a result of that, he lost you know his his series um, what, what's the Netflix series? I'm spacing it out uh, House of Cards. House of Cards. He was like the leading actor in house of cards which was like in its like fifth or sixth season and it was getting close to the end of the season where it would culminate and reach some resolution and in the the last season i think they were in the middle of filming and then they canceled that and it'll probably presumably never be finished at the same time he was also 
they had just they had finished he was about to be in a big movie uh that was a, about uh J Paul Getty the famous billionaire who was like the richest man in the world in the 1950s and 60s and Kevin Spacey was playing this guy and the film was set to come out in December of 2017 and then all these allegations come out and suddenly the the studio i think it was Sony or, or i forget who the film studio was but they completely took Kevin Spacey the, the film was already filmed it was like a month away from being released and they completely took him out of the the film and replaced him with another actor with Christopher Plummer who um interestingly the movie was directed by Ridley Scott and Ridley Scott evidently originally wanted Christopher Plummer to play this lead role to play the famous billionaire who was being depicted in this movie uh the studio wanted uh, Kevin Spacey. So Kevin Spacey got the role. They filmed the entire movie, but then a, a month or two before it's going to be released, suddenly all these allegations come out about Kevin Spacey. His entire career implodes over the course of just a few weeks, very quickly and very suddenly and, and unexpectedly. And he's removed from this movie and then replaced with Christopher Plummer. They they film refilm all of his scenes within the course of a few weeks, and then release the movie. In December of 2017, uh, when Saturn goes into Capricorn and Kevin Spacey has his exact Saturn return. So that's already fascinating enough that we're seeing somebody who is as, as towering of a figure as Kevin Spacey was in Hollywood over the past decade or two, being an Academy Award winning actor. But that's not the most interesting part. So the, that's part of the most interesting part. The other most interesting part is that the guy who replaced him. Uh, the actor whose name is Christopher Plummer uh, also has Saturn at the exact same degree of Capricorn at one <laughs> degree of Capricorn. Here's his chart, but he was born in 1929, so he's actually having his th his third Saturn return right now. So Kevin Spacey was born, and, and this was pointed out. I forget who it was a, a listener of the podcast who's also a patron who posted this in the private discussion forum for the group, and I'm forgetting their name, but I'm gonna quickly look them up after I stop talking in a few minutes here because they pointed this out. It's a great correlation. I'd already been paying attention to Kevin Spacey's Saturn return and the fact that his career was imploding right as the Saturn return, the second Saturn return was beginning, and he was born in 1959. But what's crazy is that the guy that replaced him in the film that was then released in December of 2017 had Saturn at the exact same position at one degree of Capricorn, but he was born in 1929 and he was experiencing his third Saturn return. That is that is some crazy stuff. What it yeah, that's really that's really cool. There's a few other examples of that in in Hollywood. Like you know, uh, Salma Hayek has the same Saturn as as Frida Kahlo, and she played her. And and uh, you know, oh, another Saturn Capricorn one actually. Uh, Sean Sean uh, not Sean Bean. Sean Penn has the same Saturn as Harvey Milk, and he played Harvey Milk in a movie. So there's definitely things like that. Uh, another thing I'd say about uh, about Kevin Spacey's Saturn is if you see, if you go back to the chart, Chris, um, and, and this is Mars an untimed chart. I just did a noon chart. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This, this is irrespective of that Mars. He has a Mars Pluto conjunction and that Mars Pluto conjunction is, uh, nearly exactly trine his Saturn. So that means that his Saturn is susceptible to Mars and Pluto type events. And so 
what I think is interesting about that as well is that, you know, he has been most acclaimed for his roles in which he plays uh, essentially like a villain, this type character. And Saturn is, you know, the Scrooge character. Saturn is the kind of the villain uh, archetype in some ways is that, you know, the nemesis, the, the, the kind of bad guy, you know, and I think around his first Saturn return um, in that would have been like 1989 or the very, very end of 1988. He, uh, you know, he kind of first got kind of a, he first kind of got popular after he played this uh, insane arms dealer, this criminal on this TV show, uh, Wise Guy. And uh, he was, he played a few criminals after that, uh, in that period. Uh, You know, I don't think he, I don't know if he filmed the usual suspects in the Uranus, uh, sorry, in the Saturn and Capricorn period, but I know that that he sort of got started it, when it, he didn't get started, but he kind of came to prominence with the kind of a criminal or villain character. And so I think it's interesting that he is now playing, you know, this murder, murderer, um, you know, criminal, uh, you know, uh, president, you know, in, in uh, House of Cards, um, which is all about building up an empire only to have it, you know, <laughs> crash right. down. And then that actually is happening in his real life, you know, <laughs> and he playing this villain. Now he's being revealed to be kind of a villain in his in his in his real life in some ways you know to other people uh through his um actions towards him sure. so yeah it's, it's somebody uh, it's, i wish it's, we had a birth time for mind- him to know where that side <laughs> yeah. was placed in his chart to understand right. it better um it's it's mind well, it's just mind-blowing I, to think of the way that and, and hold on before you other. interject one more quick thing yeah yeah uh the guy that both of them portrayed i just want because i used him as one of my very first chart examples in my book but the guy the billionaire that the movie was about that they were both portraying. We actually have a birth time for him, and he has Capricorn rising with Saturn ruling the ascendant, placed <laughs> in Libra in the tenth whole sign house. So Kevin Spacey, you know, played this guy and has Saturn in early Capricorn, and then was basically kicked out of the movie. And then the guy that replaced him as Saturn in Capricorn, and he ended up then depicting him in this big Hollywood movie that will have forever sort of memorialize this guy and his personality and who who he was kind of this Saturnian kind of miser type figure. One of the most famous stories about Getty was that he, like like one of his relatives, his grandson or, or nephew or something was kidnapped and they tried to ransom him and asked for like millions of dollars and Getty refused to pay anything. So there's this interesting sort of miserly Saturn archetype that Getty himself represented. And it's interesting seeing it echoed in the actors who ended up playing mm-hmm. him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to. If there are any actors out there now, you know what kind of characters. Yeah, right. Be, be so I wanted right? to just <laughs> jump back to that initial stunning example of Kevin Spacey and his replacement, mm-hmm. their Saturns, and where Saturn is now. Um, I think that that's a perfect illustration of credit where credit is due, working out really well, right, um, for one person and not so well for another person. You know the the you know the uh, was the other actor was the person that the director wanted right right uh, you know like he was supposed to do it that was that was what was right and it was denied and, and in all um, honesty even though I did like Kevin Spacey as an actor you know regardless of the other personal things I liked him no he's that. really good at acting creepy right yeah yeah I mean he did a great job in House <laughs> of Cards especially in the first you know couple of seasons and other similar type roles but. Um, what was I saying? What was the point of that sentence? Uh, that he, oh yeah. Even though you like well, no, him. He... The point you were making though, that credit where credit was due. What was weird is that in the previews for this, 
Um, so, so, you know, Kevin Spacey, they put him in a bunch of makeup and like prosthetics and it looked really weird in the previews. Like even though the studio wanted him because they wanted a bigger actor, like it, it almost didn't look appropriate for the role. Whereas the Christopher Plummer who ended up replacing him and they reshot all the scenes actually looks really good as somebody trying to depict Getty. So, th- so your statement you were making or where you're going with that, I also see that as being true in that, um, you know, somebody that was more appropriate for the role actually winning out somehow through this weird twist of fate and the person that was perhaps less appropriate for it, uh, losing it in this very odd, odd way. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. No, that's a, it's a wonderful example for a lot of reasons. Sure. So did you have anything else to say about, or before I sort of interrupted you? Uh, me? Yeah. Did you have anything no, else to no. say about that example? No, I just kind of wanted to point out how that's an application of credit where credit is due to both people. And one looks like a terrible event where you lose your career and one looks like a great event, but it's the same, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, which side you fall on. And sure. to, um, although, you know, Saturn transits can certainly bring um, what is experienced as unearned tragedy or hardship, um, you know, there, there's also a lot of um, earned tragedy and a lot of um, earned uh, authority or earned recognition, right? You know, like the person who had been an actor their whole life and, <laughs> you know, like they they did that, right? They they earned that skill and that reputation. They earned the director's respect. And, you know, as sad as, you know, as, as much as it might have roots in a tragic childhood or whatever, Catter, Kevin Spacey did those things. He earned that um, that ill repute and that rejection, you know? Um, sometimes the planets do signify just like random stuff, good or bad, or seemingly random, but there is a very strong connection to action over time, especially with Saturn, you know, especially with Saturn in such a Saturn-y sign. Like Saturn likes, Saturn likes, um, Saturn, especially in Capricorn, is a big fan of, see, you know, if you do something every day for three years, then that's what you'll have at the end of it. It's not magic. Right. If you, um, you know, if you hurt people every day for three years, I bet your reputation will suffer and you may be imprisoned. You know, if you, I don't know, do an exercise every day for three years, you're going to be amazing at that. You know, one of Saturn and Capricorn's tricks is the like least magical thing in the world that is the most magical thing in the world, which is if you keep doing that, if you keep doing that, this is going to happen. Sure. That's a, that's a really important point because it's a, you know, it's a delicate topic that comes up over and over again on the podcast, which is on the one hand this objection that, that I have to some strands of modern astrology and certainly Lisa Scheim when talking about Saturn and Saturn returns and Saturn transits also has, which is that in the attempt to, uh, by modern astrologers, oftentimes to speak in an empowering way, they attribute almost like you know, godlike powers to like any individual to actualize their own will and therefore to manifest anything. Uh, but then, as a side effect of that, they basically attribute sometimes things to individuals that happen in their life that are not under the control and say that it's somehow their fault for not actualizing their will or that they attracted that to them or something like that, which is just can be bullshit in many instances. But that being said, you know the point that you're making is really important which is that of all the things sometimes saturn really 
is closely connected with the results of actions and receiving your just due for that, either in a good way or a bad way. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's hard balancing those two things because you don't know until you get to an individual case, like what it actually is going to be. Is this something that is a result of a past action and you're receiving your just desserts, or is it something that is just uh, a tragic thing that you have to 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 put up with and deal with that is not necessarily your fault? Yeah. Well, and a lot of times it's pretty clear. Um, you know, one of the examples I believe you wanted to deal with was Michael J. Fox. Um, being diagnosed with a terrible disease during his Saturn return. That wasn't because, you know, he was a jerk. And so, you know, God gave him, uh, what is it, Parkinson's, is it? Yeah, at his Saturn return. But at the same time, and and, uh, for me, at least, knowing that there will be, you know, you will experience, everyone will experience um, difficulty or tragedy that is not the result of their actions. Um, To me, that frames... Um, it sort of underlines the point that, you know, not everything's in your control. So by all means, make the best out of what is in your control, right? You know, you, you don't have total control. Don't fool yourself. Um, but you do have some control. And if you, you know, if you let the fact that some, that things just sometimes happen, um, convince you to give up what little control you have, then, you know, that's just a shame and that's not going to work out for you. Right. And what what is that saying? It's like, give me the power to accept the things that I, I have to accept and control that. Do you guys know that saying? Uh, yeah. Something like, give me the, uh, grant me the serenity to accept <laughs> what I cannot change. And the courage to change the things I can to, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Something like that uh, along those lines. So, and you know, the other thing from a technical standpoint that's relevant here and is probably relevant, it's like I don't want to overemphasize this because there can be mitigating factors and, and reasons why right. this is not the case. But oftentimes sect seems to play a major role, especially for Saturn returns and sometimes indicating from a more technical standpoint, if the person is going to experience the more constructive side of the Saturn transit, uh, or if they're going to experience the more challenging side of the Saturn transit with, generally speaking, all other mitigating factors aside, people with day charts often experiencing the more uh, constructive side of the Saturn transit and people with night charts experiencing the more challenging side. And that can be mitigated in, in a number of ways. For example, with Jupiter or Venus aspecting Saturn and offsetting things or uh, in this instance, which is this is particularly relevant, if Saturn is dignified zodiacally by sign, either being in one of its own signs like Capricorn or Aquarius, or being in the sign of its exaltation, Libra, that can be a major mitigating or offsetting factor to that rule. But all other things aside, sect often is useful in in often determining which way it's going to go, and that's one of the reasons I wish in the case of um you know, Kevin Spacey and Christopher Plummer that we had their birth times because it would be interesting to see if, you know, for example, if Kevin Spacey was a night chart and Christopher Plummer was a day chart or or what have you. The other relevant thing to point out about Michael J. Fox's chart is the fact that Saturn rules his first house, which is the house of like one's appearance and one's general vitality and health. But then the 12th also represents not just enemies, but suffering and, you know, um, like that kind of bad stuff. And so the fact that Saturn at its return, you know, ended up result. I mean, this isn't going to be the same for every person who has this, you know, set up, you know, Saturn Capricorn in the 12th, 
with Aquarius rising, but you know, the fact that he did uh, start exhibiting symptoms of Parkinson's as he was approaching his Saturn return when it rules these parts of his chart and he has an illness. Now what, but you know, if we were reading his chart, uh, like there's, there's, there's a bit more we could say, you know, he, that wasn't the end of his life, you know, getting Parkinson's. It was really the beginning of his new life as, you know, instead of being like an actor or being just an actor, you know, he became, you know, this, uh, health advocate and activist, you know, for stem cell research and, you know, the, the Saturn opposition, I believe, you know, that's really when he got much more, uh, political, you know, about it. And, uh, you know, sort of taking his case to, to lawmakers and, and saying like, look, this is this therapy that we really need for people who are suffering. So his, the cause of his life now, you know, it's still, I mean, not just his own personal suffering, but also the idea of suffering in general is now a focus of his, you know, core identity. You know, this is who he is now. He, he, he goes around and tries to like fix what's broken. So, I mean, in one way, you might even be able to say, well, maybe the Saturn return is, you know, when he's like done in by it or something, but it, I, it might, it might be, you know, <laughs> Chris is like stop predicting deaths yeah, on my show, I mean, please. I, stop predicting deaths it, it, yeah. it, it, I'm not I'm not predicting deaths sure I, 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 he, he you know maybe that maybe that's a breakthrough you know when he when uh maybe he gets some sort of important legislative victory you know for stem cell research or there's some other kind of um you know accomplishment or achievement he makes as a result of going through now the these 29 years of of uh advocating on this, on this topic. yeah definitely so he's oh, you know he's somebody who you know lisa used in her lecture on saturn returns and sect and one of her favorite examples because of his saturn ruling the ascendant and being placed in the 12th and the night chart and then him basically being diagnosed with um with parkinson's during his saturn return and so he's somebody who certainly now one saturn cycle later having saturn and capricorn that will be interested to see what his second Saturn return is all about and what the closing down of that 30-year cycle and the opening up of a new 30-year cycle will look like for him in his life. Um, there's right. other there's a lot of other Saturn and Capricorn people where we're interested in that as well in terms of the people going through their Saturn returns at this time, going through that process of closing down one chapter of their life and then opening up another 30-year chapter. Um, another Barack Obama is yeah, actually another one just like this. This chart actually really makes me think because, of course, Michael J. Fox was born uh, pretty close within a few months of Barack yeah. Obama, and he also has Aquarius rising. So, of course, Obama is also going to be experiencing his second Saturn return in Capricorn, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what that's all about. I don't think we need to like go into it or. It's yeah, right. You know, I mean, I'd say he'd, I'd say it was probably when he, you know, opens up his foundation or his presidential library. That's what Clinton did at his Saturn return um, after his presidency. So, well, and there's a lot to be said um, at Saturn returns for, especially you know, for the people who are um, doing their first, second, third these next couple years. Um, there's often a big question about what role should I play? Um, you know, when we talk about opening and closing a chapter. Um, that that chapter often looks like a change in role. Sometimes it's just internally, like thinking about you know your life and what you're doing differently. But it's often um, quite clear externally. Um, you know, as for the the first Saturn return, um, there's that question of like, so 
I learned how to do this in my 20s, and I guess I'm good at that, and I'm educating this, and then that. But what is my role in the world, right? What is the the container that I'm going to pour myself into? What is my what is my job, um, you know, in the context of the rest of the humans? And I think that that's a that's a pretty key Saturnian thing. Uh, it's a pretty key Saturn return thing. And again, because Saturn is in Capricorn, we're kind of seeing Saturn on steroids here. So all of those um, fundamentally Saturnian themes, I think, are going to be very clear. Definitely. Um, and are, are there any other Saturn return? Because in you know, with with Saturn yes. and Sag, we looked at some Saturn returns where we were looking forward to how those turned out. Like one of them that was funny was um. Uh, the actor uh, Shia LaBeouf, and knowing that his he had Aquarius rising and Saturn and Sag, and we were looking forward to seeing what his Saturn return would be about, and that was actually really interesting. One of the things being, you know, him on the week of his exact Saturn return, renting out a movie theater and then sitting down and watching all of the movies he had done since he was a little kid over the course of that week of his exact Saturn return in a very vivid and, and sort of stark Saturn return example. Uh, in addition to obviously other things, um, what are some other people who are born as Saturn and Capricorn where we're going to be looking so, forward to seeing how their Saturn returns turn out? Uh, so I would like to uh, use the example of James Earl Jones. Uh, James Earl Jones is one of my favorite examples of a chart. Now um, we have a timed birth for him, so that's really cool. One of the ma- one of the coolest things about James Earl Jones's chart is the fact that he was born with. Mercury and Capricorn rising, and of course, he's most famous for his big, deep, dark, booming voice, right. which he uses. He which he uses to portray these iconic father figures and or villains. Yeah, um, I just dude, um, Darth base, Vader, per, person with a, like a yeah. blue, like a a rich, deep bass voice. Um, who just exudes gravitas? Like that's what Saturn looks like in a sign that it rules, right? That's where that's, that's right. what Saturn sounds like, right? That, that's that's so, the feel. Yeah. We'll, we'll look at it. it's Mercury stationing direct uh, at six degrees <laughs> yeah. Capricorn on the ascendant. It's actually three degrees above, which means the moment he was born, Mercury was just rising over the eastern horizon at that moment, and then a few minutes later the moon rose over the horizon and Saturn came right after it all right before the sun. So there are all, all those planets, Mercury, the moon and Saturn and Capricorn proceeded and rose bef- just before the sun, just before sunrise that morning, the morning he was born. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I just think that is just so amazing, but what's, what's even more interesting about it is the fact that he was not always known as you know, the, the, you know, this legendary voice in cinema when he was a kid, he was actually mute for uh, several years. He he did not speak at all. He could not speak. He was he had a, a severe, very severe stutter. And this is a very common theme with Mercury Saturn people is they oftentimes have obstacles, uh, you know, revolving around the idea of speech. But then as time went on, and again that Saturn's thing and Capricorn's thing is is you know over the course of time and maturity and your know, maturation he becomes an adult he gets his deep voice he he now speaks with authority now he speaks and people tremble now he speaks and people listen you know uh, and uh so i think that um it's it, I, I don't know it just it's it it's, speaks so it's, clearly it's beautiful <laughs> i i hear i it's heard beautiful, the first actually. time he spoke a word he caused an earthquake 
It was like yeah. six, yeah, and there was just this big it is, rumble. The earth trembled. It is such. I mean, he is literally the voice of Darth Vader. Like this is. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful chop. Uh, anyway, and, and that theme before so you beautiful. move on, just that idea of of yeah. something that is initially is a weakness or a shortcoming or an obstacle, but then eventually becomes a strength almost through. I don't want to say sometimes it's overcompensating, but other times it's through just sheer, you know, focus and, and willpower and repeated failure that eventually it becomes something that's like hardened and that the person is able to wield as, as something that's uh, powerful rather than something that's a shortcoming eventually. That's that's a great Saturn and Capricorn type type theme, uh, weakness earlier in life that later becomes a strength. Right. Yeah, and just to, so yeah, exactly. Just yeah, to expand good. on that, you know, one one thing I see with Saturn um, positions with people is, yeah, it's something that they're not naturally good at a lot of the time, and so they have to learn to do it right without get without the benefit of talent, right? You know, talent's a wonderful thing, um, but it means you don't really have to study very hard. You know, if you're good right. at something, you're just you're just naturally good at. You don't learn. You don't have to build that skill from the ground up. Um, but when you're, you know, when you're less talented than your peers at something, um, and, you know, this could be Saturn in the second house, you know, bad at managing money or in the ninth, you know, you're not sure what you believe or whatever. Like you really have to start building from the ground up a lot of times in, in the area where Saturn is, which will again look like a handicap, you know, first couple decades, but by the time you're in the middle of life, you know, you're not, you know, you're not relying on, you're not relying on, on talent or the grace of God. Like you've learned how to do it correctly from the ground. up. That's, that's, that's perfect, Austin, because what, so the deal with James L. Jones first Saturn return was in 1960. Uh, well, he, 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 he didn't really have much contact with his dad. He wasn't allowed to like be in contact with his biological father who, and again, that's another kind of satin thing where you didn't really touch him with fathers, but, um, and absentee fathers and things like that. But he, uh, uh, his dad was an actor and he got into, and, but the son wanted to get into acting too, but he wasn't, he wasn't cast anything. So he just worked as a carpenter at a theater making sets and stuff before he ever got cast in a role but then he finally started acting, you know, he, he basically had to work his way up like right. from being like a lowly stagehand to finally getting a role. And then it was finally in 1960 that he got this role as in Shakespeare, a Shakespeare production, the very first Shakespeare in Central Park um, in playing in Henry V. And it was also the year of his first role on the New York stage. So this is really his entrance in New York into, you know, being a real actor and um it's on his saturn return yeah and that was in yeah that was that was in the year of his, his uh, saturn return he he said on a spring day in 1960 he was offered the role uh in uh, the shakespeare thing which got him a lot of acclaim and notice and so and this is another example of like credit where credit's due you know he put in the hard hard work you know this is a guy who couldn't even speak you know for several years as a as a you know until he was a teenager so like it's uh you know, a huge testament to, you know, his kind of grim determination. You yeah. Know, his Saturn and Capricorn. His Saturn. And the other thing that's really interesting here, the reason why I'm also looking at him, especially for the one coming up, is the fact that he was born with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction opposite Saturn. 
So he's another one of these Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter people, um, you know, and we're about to go into a Jupiter, Saturn, <laughs> Pluto period, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. he's kind of one of these people and kind of like expecting like, oh, what's going to be going on with you? He is uh, – the, the only thing I really know about what's coming up for him now is he – uh, he is going to be reprising his role as Mufasa in the new Disney remake of Lion King. Um, and he recorded that part at the previous uh, Saturn and Capricorn. Well, well and that's interesting because that, that second one, so this is this is going to be his third Saturn return. But that's, that yeah, second Saturn yeah. return, like he really was at almost like the height of his career at that point. Right. Third- yeah, he... Yeah. So sorry, thirty years after you said he got that initial role yeah. in the in the late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties during his first set of return, thirty years later, the like the Star Wars trilogy had just wrapped up, you know, in the mid nineteen eighties, which he played such a big role. But he was also like getting actual, you know, movie roles like F- Field of Dreams, I remember in like the, the early nineteen nineties. Yeah. In 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 the Saturn and Capricorn period, he uh, he had a lead role in a TV show where he played like a cop who, like this like uh, no was it no he played a I think he may might might have played like a prisoner of course <laughs> uh, who finally got out of jail and uh, I forget what the name of it was but I know that he he is the only actor to have won two Emmys in the same year okay um and that happened during the the you know for the work he did during his second Saturn wow. return so again a really big career accolade as Saturn is transiting through uh through Capricorn sure. so that, yeah, that took think, until his second Saturn return this is this is a guy in his like yeah. late 50s early 60s at this point so it's another one of those examples of something that really took a lot of time it's like not something that was just given right. to him early in his life but he really worked for it and built up to it over the course of two two Saturn totally. cycles, totally. So I think with this next Saturn Pluto cycle, he, I mean, the, with this next Saturn cycle, he's going to be, uh, you know, he will receive the accolades again, you know, and uh, you know, it'll be, you know, similarly kind of grand, I guess. All right. Uh, were you going to say something bef- about that, Austin? Before we move on. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, this this is one of the charts that. Um, validates um, what astrologers say about Saturn stuff getting better with age. Um, right, you know, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> when I, you know, I'm talking about something, or I'm talking to a client, and they have or a friend or whatever, and they have like, you know, everything's ruled by Saturn, and Saturn's all up in everything. And I, you know, I tell them, I'm like, no, no, no like, um, th- this is yeah, give it time. Like, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, and it, it sometimes feels like a player. It feels like a platitude, but it's really not a platitude. No. Um, you know, if your chart is, you know, Saturn-tastic, like, give it time. Some, you know, some of these take a couple, you know, they take a couple extra decades to cook. And one of the things, again, about Saturn is that um, while while Saturn, while Jupiter, um, you know, like a very Jupiterian chart, for example, uh, the person will often be blessed by having opportunities earlier in life, or they may be blessed with talent. Um, you know, the tide goes out on opportunities and talent. It goes out and comes back in. But when you've just built it with stones you quarried yourself from scratch, like it doesn't really matter what the weather is. You know, if you if you build Saturn style, it takes you five times as long. Well, not five times as long. It takes you two and a half times as long 
Um, but it's not – there's every storm. Yeah, it's not subject yeah. to the same – yeah, to the to the same weather patterns or tides. Perfect. That's, that's a great point. Literally, this guy just has to like speak and, you know, money pours out. I mean, it's right, amazing. But he didn't, didn't anyway, start that so way. He started the exact opposite. Not at all. Not at um, all. So uh, we can go to the next example. Um, who, who did you want to do? So, Charles Dickens? Uh, I can do Charles Dickens, okay. yeah. So this one is obviously from a long time ago, but he is obviously still a really famous – you know, author. Everyone knows and, who he um, is. Hold on a uh, second. Let me pull of... up. First, let me pull up his chart. Okay. Uh, do you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see okay. it. Yeah. Oh, shall we? Yep. Continue? Let's go. Okay. All right. So this is Charles Dickens' chart, and what I think is really interesting is about Charles Dickens is you know he uh, uh, an author who was famous for writing stories which were about uh, the grinding misery of poverty, and uh, he was born with uh, Mercury. As the ruler of his ascendant, and it's in Capricorn, so he is thinking and talking about, you know, hard times, you know, orphans, the, all the satin topics, Oliver Twist, David Copperfield, and all of that stuff. And uh, what's interesting about this too is, uh, you know, when he, a lot of the reason why he is so interested in those topics for his novels is because when he was a kid, uh, he, his dad got locked up in debtor's prison and he had to work in a, in terrible conditions to support his family for several months. And because he came from a place of relative privilege, his descent into this world of, of being in poverty, uh, you know, left a huge impression on him. And so that's why in his books, um, the, you know, he's, uh, always, uh, you focused on these really hard Saturnian, you know, issues of especially of youth in poverty in, in you know mercury and capricorn kind of captures that kind of idea of uh you know youth in in poverty now um well, saturn the, they're in the fifth too. so yeah ch- children yeah saturn's in there in the fifth exactly so with um you know and that's why his books are sort of focused around you know children child characters in hard terrible situations um so his first saturn return uh he he was a very famous author by that point already. And he made this very controversial visit to America. He'd never been to America before. And for him, it was a, it was a very, um, it was a, it was a, it was a Saturn return experience for him because it was a total, uh, disillusioning experience because he thought that America was this place, which kind of had it all figured out, uh, with regards to poverty. And, and he thought it was got this like utopia and he got there and he, you know, kind of saw the good parts, but he also specifically requested to see the prisons and the poor mm. houses and the insane asylums. He wanted to see these, you know, Saturn and Capricorn places because he's obsessed with them because of what happened. So, and he, he saw that, you know, while America had a lot of things right, he also had a lot of things wrong. So he wrote this book during the Saturn Capricorn period, which he was very critical of the Americans and a lot of his American fans kind of turned on him. Uh, he eventually was able to win, you know, them back with, you know, previous uh, or rather subsequent books. But uh, that's that was Charles Dickens' first uh, Saturn return, and I, I thought that was uh, just just right. Yeah, Brilliant. that's really interesting. That's good. Well, and also like so, just to say a little bit about Saturn's position natally and how clearly that fits into his story and his stories. So we have Saturn and Capricorn in the fifth whole sign house. And the fifth, the fifth house signifies children. So there's talk about poor, you know, writing about poor children. Tiny Tim, Oliver Twist. Right. The fifth house um, is also um, very strongly associated with artistic creativity. What you have, the, you know, what you have, wh- what you create, 
Right. And of course, we create children. Um, but we if you're an author, you also create books. And so he's like creating books that have Saturn as a theme. And then you have the fifth house children thing layered on top of that. It's fifth house, fifth house, Saturn, Saturn. Think of his most famous character, probably the most perfect Saturnian archetypal character possible. Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes. Bar humbug. Right. And, <laughs> no, and what mean... is he visited with? He's visited with a vision of how time changes things. Right. Right. The ghost, yeah, ghost of Christmas past, present, past. and future. <laughs> right. So it's a yeah. confrontation with time. The old man's confrontation with time. Like, yeah, that's an excellent point, Watson. Perfect. Perfect <laughs> example. Perfect. Yay. I got praise. From Austin Kopuk. Oh, I'm going to put that on my All right, so, put that on my site. So, and then so to wrap up this section on Saturn returns, yeah. what I think what I want to do is mention other people having Saturn returns with, with no commentary about what our interpretation or otherwise what we're expecting, but just a few interesting ones that we know are happening with Saturn and Capricorn to pay attention to as interesting research subjects to see how that's going to turn out. So, the list is something like that we've got written down is uh, Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, has Saturn in Capricorn, Rupert Murdoch, the head of uh, you know the Fox News empire, and and what's the broader umbrella corporation? I forget. I'm spacing out the name right now. News, News Corp. Corp. Okay. Uh, Warren. Br- Saturn. He's an he, he's another Saturn Pluto okay. guy. Uh, really shocking. Warren- <laughs> Warren Warren Buffett, the famous investor along similar lines. Um, oh. Val Kilmer, who the famous actor, but he's actually going through some very serious health issues right now that have come out in the news. So is Julia so is Julia Louis Dreyfus born very close to him with a sun Saturn conjunction in okay. Capricorn. Right. And uh yeah. and you have a few others listed here. They're not in like a separate bullet point, but you some other actors and musicians? Uh, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, basically all the Harry Potter actors, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, the Harry Potter generation grows up, you know, um, then you have oh, that's uh, so interesting. Taylor Swift. Yeah, it is. Taylor Swift uh, is going to be having a Saturn return. I'm kind of looking forward to that just because it's going to be uh, fairly visible, I would imagine, um, because of her visibility. And it, it makes me wonder if... Uh, especially due to um, some of the more negative attention that's been brought to her uh, that, you know, this could result in potentially a a change. She may question like what she's doing kind of, you know, with music, she may choose to go into a different direction, uh, maybe leaving music um, or, uh, or something of that sort. Um, She's, she's not quite at the actual return yet, but the return has started and, and she she just released this new album and that happened with Saturn on the Sun and she's come up with this appropriately Saturnian darker material and uh, apparently a lot of her ticket sales have have stumbled and um, kind of looks like she's entering a a kind of um, you know less pleasant period potentially with Saturn and Capricorn so um, kind of looking forward to I mean sorry looking I mean I'm looking forward to it not like you're looking forward in time at yeah it. right there you go right? <laughs> there you go there you go i to i don't have any particular feeling towards it. and then I um she, both you know, rihanna and chris brown are saturn and capricorns aren't they yeah yeah um so i don't i don't want to go on at length but the first thing that really got me thinking about saturn and capricorn 
was watching a Chris Brown documentary maybe two or three months ago, maybe three months ago, um, and finding out that he's um, sort of just barely not gone to jail for a lot of things. And um, he seemed to have a very unrepentant attitude. And I was like, hmm, is he pre or post Saturn return? And then I was like, oh, it's coming up. And I was like, hmm, don't know that that's going to go well for Chris Brown. Or maybe he'll, you know, just change it. Maybe up, he'll yeah. put away childish things and make good. But I was just sort of like, hmm. Sure. I don't know if Saturn and Capricorn he's, approves of that behavior. And one of the th- he's a he's he's a new moon in Taurus, by the way. So Uranus is coming up for his sun and moon. Oh yeah, well that's a whole other thing we're going to have to do a show yeah. on in a few months here, yeah. which is Uranus's ingress yeah. into Taurus, which is marking not not just the three year shift of Saturn and Capricorn, but a whole new like seven year shift of a planet going into a new sign. Um, and one of the things, of course, we learned that was very unique about. Uh, Saturn in Sagittarius and the people that were having their first Saturn returns in Sagittarius that was so stark and, and not comical, but but um, unique was a lot of them had Saturn conjunct Uranus. And so there was this heavy, heavy Uranian component of like something unexpected or something that came out of left field that often ended up being part of the Saturn return experience. And for many of the people experiencing their first Saturn returns in Capricorn who were born in the late 80s, or early 90s, that's also going to be present for them as an interesting component of their Saturn return since they have Uranus in Capricorn uh, conjunct or at least in the same sign as Saturn for the most part, in addition to Neptune, which most of the Saturn in, in Sagittarius people didn't have. So that's actually a unique additional component that's going to be new and, and introduce a, a sort of unique combination or unique component for these first Saturn return people. Yeah. The walls explosively dissolve. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, <laughs> Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Yeah. Um, yeah. Weighty and surreal. I don't know. <laughs> right. Weighty, surreal, <laughs> oh, even, unexpected. I, the, the Neptune thing, the Neptune thing is the thing that really throws me off. I'm not yeah. quite sure how to, well, cause it's such an, the antithesis to... of Saturn. And, and you can see that with like the destruction, the dissolution of the Berlin wall, for example, and the right. Uranian and Neptune component perhaps being part of the reason why we're talking about a you know destroying or taking down of the wall during that time with Saturn in going through that sign versus building one up. But then the question is, what does that look like then when a bunch of those people start having that placement activated in their chart? What walls are being dissolved or brought down in their personal lives at that time? Well, and I would also say that those um you know, um, I would say, you know, to a certain degree, by controlling the boundaries around space, Saturn um, will create and destroy worlds. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, destroy, you know, in in a sense, when the Berlin Wall came down, it destroyed the the political world that people have been living in for decades. Um, but you know, thinking about these Saturn, Neptune, uh, Uranus people, I wonder. Um, there's this whole um layer of the virtual world that is going to need some very strange architects um imaginative technically inclined um you know willing to dwell within virtual worlds it seems like out of that generation we'll get some we'll get um uh some notable architects of that virtual layer of our world which is only growing right yeah. um you know on a literal Perfect. virtual reality i mean 
just the the very basic things that people have obviously already got to be working on like well what if you did second life or facebook but it was completely virtual it was you know full immersion vr you know i'm not in that area that's not an original thought that's like an obvious thing like there will be these worlds that are being built um you know that terrain has got to be farmed and shaped and i would be shocked if some of the leading who the people who end up being the leading figures in that aren't from that saturn uranus neptune subgeneration. not that that's the only thing that that's good for but right and i'd also like to add as a side note um to that that you know chris did that uh you know paper on the uh uranus neptune cycles and it's and it's uh continuing synchrony with the uh, synthesis and development of innovations in astrology itself. And so, you know, a lot of the um, more mo older modern astrologers kind of looked at like the Pluto and Scorpio kids as like the people who would like really kind of shake up astrology. And I, as a Pluto and Scorpio person, kind of like, no, 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 no. It's the Uranus-Neptune kids from the early cool. 90s who are going to be doing kind of the crazy stuff. Like the, the – so in a way, I'm also – I'm also excited for the possibilities for astrology itself and the astrologers who will come of age with this Saturn return, because they're going to be bringing forth the, the Uranus Neptune thing. And especially once Uranus squares Neptune um, later on, you know, a few decades from now, that's going to be another amazing uh, time. I think for those people who I think will be building something at this time, mm -hmm. uh, like you said, Austin, who, you know, will be extraordinary uh, to us, uh, I think. Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the people who may discover astrology who are having their first Saturn return and to discover astrology during your first Saturn return with it also activating that conjunction or co-presence with Uranus and Neptune at the same time. That would make, make some sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also well, in many – we should probably not go any further down this rabbit hole. Right. But, right. Um, you know, the in a, in a sense, we can date the beginning of the translation movement um, and yeah. the, uh, the, the beginning of the absorption of traditional texts into astrology to that Saturn and Capricorn period last time. So we're – in, in a sense, we're coming – uh, we're, we're the, the traditional, um, uh, revival in astrology is coming up on its Saturn return. Yeah. That's a really important point. And the whole that's really thing about that was always transmission and synthesis of the ancient traditions with the contemporary ones for 2000, no, 3000 years now, because I've actually traced it back as far as the seventh century BCE where that, those Uranus Neptune conjunctions were still relevant. All right. Um, so let's move on to, so you guys wanted to mention a few other sort of cultural examples before wrapping up. Or is that what it was or what was the plan? I, oh, I was, I was thinking we could just talk about like, okay, so you're living with Saturn and Capricorn for three years. So what are the right? strat? Is this well, the know, strategies advice section? Yeah, that, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Just, you okay. know, or just a living with it, like, you know, because one of the um, one thing to note um, is just like as we said before, this is peak Saturn. Um, whatever you know, whatever transits you have from Saturn right now, whether it's just like a square to your Mercury or whatever, 
that's going to be the most important um, Saturn aspect your Mercury is probably going to get for a very long time. Like Saturn's just sort of, you know, turned up to like full James Earl Jones for years. And after this, of course, Saturn goes into Aquarius, which is the other, you know, full Saturn Monty. And so, you know, all of the uh, all of the Saturn transits and all of what I would um, uh, even call Saturn opportunities are all like at max. Like after this, Saturn's not going to be as strong for like 15, you know, until it gets to Libra after, I don't know, 20 years. Um, And so there's just a lot of Saturn happening. Like one example of a Saturn opportunity um, is in electional astrology, right? Um, Do you have a thing that you want to do that requires a good Saturn position? Congratulations. Saturn's going to be in its rulership for five years or five and a half years, right? Um, if you're, if you're, um, you know, doing astrolo- traditional astrological magic and you have a thing that requires, um, Saturn in its dignity and its hour and rising and all that, congratulations. That's going to be really easy to find. Like the Saturn elections are, you know, are going to be bountiful. Um, and so will the Saturn transits, you know, it's not the same thing as, you know, Saturn aspecting something from, you know, in your chart from Sagittarius or Scorpio or whatever, like this is real Saturn. And I think that means, of course, you have to take it really seriously. <laughs> um, and that just putting a like Saturn frame around the next couple, next several years will, I think, benefit people immensely. And I don't mean by a Saturn frame, regard it with fear and terror. But um, one of the things that I was thinking that I think I, I mentioned at the end of one of our discussions, Chris, um, was if we can recognize that Saturn likes to Saturn, especially in Capricorn, likes to give you what you work for. Then great, you know. If um, I don't know if you if you if you realize you've been working on something for ten years and you get credit for it, that's awesome. But how about planning to have earned something by the time Saturn leaves Capricorn at the end of twenty twenty, right? Like beginning now a daily practice or a weekly practice or you know whatever it is. Um, going jogging every day, like get, getting on the right side of credit where credit's due is what I'm saying. I actually, I actually did that myself. I just started a, uh, what I call my satin challenge to lose a hundred pounds in a year. Uh, I've been posting daily videos, uh, you know, of my progress. And, uh, I, I chose a satin election with satin Capricorn rising, and um and so far it, I'm sticking with it. Uh, it looks like it's going to be good. But I think it's really interesting. You said you know this is something you want to lay. You know this kind of elections you want to um cast. You know while Saturn's in Capricorn, it could be things you want to to really really last a long time. You know I think since Saturn's in my sixth house house of health, you know I that's what I want for the next thirty years. You know I you know I want to be i, I want to be that you well, know? and something that you know you're going to work at and build over time rather than like a, a get quick, right. get rich quick sort of scheme that's not right. that's not a good right. idea for a saturn that's election not the idea and you actually used the, yeah. the, the election that we highlighted for january in our yearly forecast episode right yeah i did but it was a little it was somewhat by accident because i'd forgotten about it and then and then my wife said oh you should go today and then i was like that's funny. <laughs> like, that's the day they suggested. I didn't get to do it with Venus on the Venus rising, but I did it with Saturn rising. Right. 
Are there any final things that we should mention? I think that was a great note about Saturn elections and using those. And obviously, we're going to be highlighting a lot of those in the electional episodes, the monthly forecast episodes over the course of the next couple of years, if not longer here. Um, Any advice or anything else we should say as we're wrapping up this whole discussion about, about Saturn and Capricorn? I think we've covered a lot, so... I know I've been a bit of fear monger. I know I've monged some fear this episode, this episode. And so I just would like to impart, uh, that you, um, you should try your best not to fear what's coming, but just to understand what's coming and to, uh, to be Saturn and Capricorn. You know, I, I, I mean, I think Saturn Capricorn asks us all to, to be more cautious and to be, more serious and i think we just have to take every moment the way that we that we that we always should but the way that saturn i think you know needs us to act that or the way that we need to act in in the situations that come before us so we shouldn't we shouldn't fear it and you know in order to face down saturn pluto stuff we need saturn pluto people to do it so those people are among us and out there and uh you know they'll be our our heroes Right, the same uh, you know thing that <laughs> from the Saturn Pluto that causes difficulty and sometimes oppression can also lead to strength and resilience. Yes, there you go. All right, so um, this is great. Thank you guys both for joining me uh, for this discussion. Uh, things are starting to cut out, so I want to mention everyone's website where people can find out more information about each of you. So first, uh, Austin, you can find out more information about him at his website austincopic.com. He writes uh, an amazing uh, horoscope column, astrological column on his website, and he also does a successful and very useful Patreon campaign, which I'm signed up for, and I think Patrick is also signed up for, where you can get a bunch of benefits for his uh, both his dailies and weeklies and monthly uh, astrological columns and a bunch of additional bonus content. So check out his website at austincopic.com for more information about that. He also has some great articles on Saturn and Capricorn and other stuff that he's written. I'll try to link to some of that in the description, uh, either for this video on YouTube or on the podcast website. Uh, for Patrick, you want to check out his website, which is uh, what is your your URL at this point? <laughs> My URL is www.bigfatastro.com. All right, and I I have a. Um, Sneaking suspicion that that's not going to be uh, relevant anymore as as a name by the end of this transit, potentially. But I just could change it to Big Fit Astro, oh, that's or good. Um, or uh, I, I mean, I regardless of my own size, it never was just about me. It was also about my astrology, which is big and fat. And I think having big fat astrology is, uh, you know. You shouldn't you shouldn't plus size shame my astrology, Chris. Sure, big fat uh, juicyastro.com. Yeah. I think that should be your... yeah. It, it, my astrology has curves, and you will not besmudge sure. them. And they're good. No, name. no, your astrology is is great. And yeah, so big fat astro. My astrology is very big and fat. Com, where you've got um, articles. You have a great article, which I hope you. I think at some point you should release the Saturn in, in Pluto one. Uh, so that's otherwise available for purchase on your website. You also do a YouTube channel, uh, which is the same name, which you can find through your website, but it's Big Fat Astro Vlog, Vlog and yeah. uh, have also a successful Patreon campaign where people can sign up in order to get early access to your videos and articles and other things like that, which I follow and appreciate. 
Uh, so yeah, people should check Thank out your you. website. And as for myself, I uh, primarily host the Astrology Podcast at theastrologypodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please uh, give me a good rating on iTunes. And you can also subscribe for extra bonus content through Patreon, uh, where I have uh, you know electional episodes and behind-the-scenes content and other bonus podcasts that are not released to the public. Uh, also got some posters, one of which is in the background, and those are linked to uh, in the sidebar of the podcast website at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2018 posters. All right. I think that's it for this episode. Thank you both for joining me. I'm so glad we got a chance to do this. This came out really well, and we should reconvene in three years and do a retrospective and see how, how things worked out. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah, I'm into it. Definitely. Thank you for having us, Chris. Yeah. We'll meet that. Yeah, thank you. thank you. This was awesome. And all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, check out the websites in the description below, and we will see. We'll see you in three years when we do the next episode on Saturn going into Aquarius. All right. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. 